going to go beyond yeah. the radio. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, obviously, you caught us mid-sentence. We were all just kind of, you know, shooting the proverbial stuff here. Uh, and uh, so thanks for joining us. Facebook Live at 7 p.m. And I'm joined by Sully and Jesse. We're going to get the show started. Uh, obviously, we start off with our video montage that everybody seems to enjoy. Get hype. All right. So here we go, everybody. Boner. Jordan. So I will I, say this. Looking back on it, before we get it, man, Mike Trout was a little small in his rookie season. He got a little yes, big, man. huh? Those, those. He got a little big. My, my man got a little big in eight years, bro. <laughs> uh, so I am Wayne G, uh, one of the hosts here. I'm joined, as always, by Sully and Jesse. What's going on, guys? Hello, hello, friends. Hey, how we doing? How we doing, folks? Hey, there's our usual view. There we go. Um, so, obviously, we've got a big, 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 big show tonight. Uh, we've got another interview. Obviously, we had Coach Fields on last week. Everybody seemed to really like that. I think more people are excited about this one because we have a Hollywood star on who has been in some sports movies, particularly basketball movies, which I love, two of the best basketball movies of all time. Uh, we're definitely going to ask him about that. Uh, that is Silk Cozart, and uh, you'll see him. He's going to have all kinds of answers. We've got two pages of questions for him. Before we get into the whole show, though, obviously we want to remind everybody, if you're watching us right now, Facebook Live, Mondays and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. We're also, uh, we are rebroadcast the following day on the RTF Sports Network at 1 p.m., so that's Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you miss any part of the show, oh, look, I already scrolled, so this is going to be, this is always the worst part. <laughs> if it's any part of the show, we are on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher under Infinity Sports. So definitely listen to that because a lot of these shows when we have interviews, obviously the guys are really interesting. We love hearing what they have to say, and we don't really want to cut the show short. So you want to hear the whole thing. So definitely go onto those platforms and check it out. Um, obviously, you can interact with us. We are an interactive show. You can visit us at Infinity Sports Podcast on Facebook, at Infinity Sports Podcast on Instagram, and at Sports Infinity 5 on Twitter. We love ideas. We love your feedback. If there's anything we could be doing better, we certainly want to know about it. So definitely let us know. All right, guys, uh, obviously, we don't want to waste a whole lot of time today. We do have uh, just a couple of things to talk about in the news. All right, so, you know, big news, right, is the NBA playoffs just started. That's one of the big things. We're, it's on right now. I mean, it's been going on all day. So uh, pretty cool to see midday NBA basketball. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, being able to wake up, you know, no matter which coast you're on and being able to see basketball, also hockey, you know, being able to see both those sports all throughout the day, throughout the week has been amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, today's just been insane. I mean, that Nuggets-Utah Jazz game was just bonkers. I mean, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell went bananas and I mean it was just it was I mean it's what it's what the NBA dreamed of honestly for their first NBA game I think all of us were pretty much glued to that uh Toronto put a molly whopping on the nets like I think everyone expected them to that should be an easy series but yeah I mean this whole day is just chock full of games and 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 it's just a, a such a good such a good day I'm ready to eat all the crow because I was talking crap about how good the gameplay would be in the, in the NBA, thinking that players would be rusty. And oh my lord, you brought it up slowly, but we just saw Donovan Mitchell drop 57, 7, and 9 in his first game in the playoffs. That is the third highest scoring playoff performance of all time behind MJ and Wayne's boy, Wilt. No, actually, Elgin Baylor was in the picture that you oh, sent. Yeah. Touche. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair, I mean, that's a, that's a two-sided coin because, I mean, nobody's playing defense right now. Uh, I, I mean, I, I assume the deeper we get, the better it'll get. But, I mean, nobody plays defense for Utah and Denver anyway, so so we're not missing much there. Yeah, Utah doesn't have like a two-time defending player of the year. Yeah, but it's still – I mean, they're still the Western Conference. They're still a run-and-gun team. I mean, I get they've got Rudy Gobert, but, I mean, let's be real. They're not one of the better efficiency teams in the league in defense, I believe, so – well, and I'm not chalking it up to bad defense either because they're playing in the arena without the fans, which helps with the depth perception. And if you ever watch these guys, like professional players, like I've played against some NBA guys in like a, a YMCA gym or Boys and Girls Club gym, and they don't miss a single shot. doesn't matter how tight you guard them. They make everything nothing but net. The ball doesn't even touch the rim. And it's because they don't have the fans waving their hands and everything behind the backboard. So you kind of knew coming into these games, it was just going to be like playing an open run gym. So you can play the best defense in the world, and guys are just going to be knocking down shots. Yeah, guys are just getting hot, and, I mean, it's fun to watch. I'll tell you that. I'm not mad whatsoever. Excuse me. My apologies. I'm not mad whatsoever. I love what's happening, and I love seeing it. So, uh, But there was, you know, a little three-minute stretch there, or at the end of the half there. Uh, actually, uh, the, the announcer, I don't know if you guys were watching, he even says it. So it's like back and forth, and the announcer goes, man, this looks like L.A. Fitness at 3 p.m. Because right <laughs> nobody, they were like three turnovers, hit, missing layups, and it was just really funny to watch. You guys think we'll see a better performance, at least in terms of scoring throughout the rest of the playoffs? Will we see more than 57 dropped? Oh. I think so. I think Dame will try. I think Dame will, Dame will have to get 60 or, or for the for the Trailblazers, I think, in one of these games. Be interesting. I, I'm going to bet no. I'm going to say 57 is going to be the high for the playoffs. I think that's the safer bet. I would just like to see it. I think it will be really good. And then tonight's series uh, – Clips, Clips, Mavs. I mean, that's just going to be. I can't wait for that game. It's going to be. So I predict a triple double for Luka Doncic. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> uh, outside of basketball, we got some football news. The schedule was released for Week One. We get the SEC. Supposedly they're going to play, and they got you know uh, Auburn, Kentucky. We've got Alabama, Missouri, and I guess if, if you're a big fan of college football, I'm not, not going to lie. I'm not a huge fan, but it, it's coming back. You're going to have some college football games. Florida. I was going to say, if you're going to be a fan of any college football, you're going to be a fan of the SEC. You know, that is the NFL factory right there. Um, you know, there's some other big conferences that haven't called it quits yet. So between the SEC and those other two conferences, you know, I'd love to see a power three. I know I've seen Sully talking about it on Facebook and Twitter as well. He'd love to see that power three, see a big old conference and maybe a big old championship from those guys. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it'd be great. Uh, I mean, obviously, Florida Ole Miss is another game for week one. We can't we can't knock that one. Uh, but also, uh, I mean, the big news coming out of the Big Ten is Justin Fields getting this petition together 
for the Big Ten to reinstate football. It's already got – I mean, this morning it had over 250,000 signatures. I'm sure it's up over that now. There's a ton of parents voicing their disgust for the closure and their kids' dreams being taken away and such. Um, I, I, you know, if, if separate schools want to opt out, I think they should be able to. But, you know, I, I think they should just allow them to play ball and, and kind of run the table and see how it happens. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen for the Big Ten. But I'm excited the SEC is going to play ball. And then, of course, we've got the hockey playoffs. I know, uh, Sully, you mentioned before we even came on, the Lightning won again today. Yes, we did, baby. Up 3-1 on the Columbus Bluegrass. They fucking suck. I'm sorry, my language. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, they took us out last year when we were, you know, the best team in hockey, so it, it stings. So I, I want to get this win. And, and, yeah, it's been really good. I mean, the playoffs have been nuts. Uh, Vancouver's playing out of their mind. Bo Harvard had one of the sickest goals I've seen in a long time. Uh, that team's playing incredibly well uh you know obviously vegas is being vegas colorado looks man they look scary uh i can't wait to see those if those two teams get together vegas colorado that's gonna be a hell of a series yes boston uh gotta win i, I still I, i'm a little more down on boston now no tuka rask is gonna be rough for them i think no pasta either yeah but uh but you know, they're, they're still a great team, obviously. I mean, that team's still got winners everywhere all over the ice. But, yeah, I mean, hockey's just – again, I'll say it before and I've said it again, nothing's more exciting than playoff hockey. Agreed. All right. Well, listen, I don't have a ton of stuff because I really want to – Oh, real quickly, the Cardinals yeah. are finally playing baseball. Hey. <laughs> hey. We're only well, – it's only, what, August 17th? They haven't played since September 29th. We're finally playing ball, folks. They'll have a 10-game season. Yeah. <laughs> God. Oh, we lost Silk for a second. So we'll buy a little bit of time when uh, Silk gets back in here. Um, and then I have a clip. So we uh, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. Silk Cozart, uh, actor. He was in Blue Chips, Three to Tango, uh, White Men Can't Jump. Uh, Which is, of Ricochet. course, the best sports movie of all time. So well, I have White Men Can't Jump as tied for the best basketball movie with Hoosiers. Uh, I think the two of those. I mean, Blue Chips not quite there, but Blue Chips is a step below. But you know, I, I do. I agree. I think it's a step below. But I, th- I mean, it was drafted in our sports movies, so it's it's in the top thirty. We all agree that, and 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 I agree. It's such a good movie, uh, so underrated too. I mean, people just need to be need to watch it. All right. So, like I said, before we uh, get into it, like I said, we've got Silk backstage. We're going to bring him on. Uh, I want to play a little bit of a clip. This is mine and Dan's favorite scene from White Men Can't Jump, or our favorite line, and, and we had to have it played. Oh, no, 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 no. No, all ball, all ball. No foul. Got my hand. No, 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 no. Hand, your hand is part of the ball, man. You got my wrist. Your wrist is a part of the hand. Yeah, knee bones connect to the dick bone. Give me the ball, man. Look, you fouled the shit out of Robert, man. Hell, oh, man, what you know? You didn't even see the play. Yo, baby, you couldn't carry my jock strap in a suitcase. What the hell is this? Thought this was Watts, baby. Thought you had some ball players out here. This ain't Jack. Shit. You know, I get real tired of looking at your face. You know that? I guess your mother must have threw you out of the house at an early age. Oh, yeah, he's talking about your mama. You talking about my mother? No, no, no. See, nobody talks about my mother. You don't ever talk about my motherfucking mama. All right? Me and any guy out here take you. Well, then how much you want to roll? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. oh, what is this? Oh my God! Look at this! It's a thousand dollars. So, Silk, thank you for joining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that brings back memories, boy. Oh you know, man, how y'all doing? Doing well. Great. How are you? Having you on. Good. Thank you. Good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank <laughs> Thanks you. Thanks for being on. <laughs> 
So we had a bunch of questions, like I said, and we'll go in at any point if you want to, you know, like I said, uh, you know, add anything. And, and we're going to give you a ton of time at the end as well to talk about, because I know you've got the really great charity for Ending Hunger is, is fantastic. And I definitely want you to spend as much time as you want on that. Uh, you've got the movie coming out. You, you directed uh, this movie. We're going to ask you about directing a little bit in our questions. So uh, we're very excited to talk about any projects you want. But if it's cool with you, we kind of want to start off with like early life, getting into acting and just kind of snowball into the, uh, the roles. Absolutely. So my first question, uh, obviously, is one. So it's I say obviously, that's probably not the right word. But basically, um, you know, you're 50 percent African-American, right? 50 percent Native American. Yes. Uh, you grew up in Tennessee, which is predominantly white. I mean, even now it's 75 percent. It must have been more back in the 70s. Um, so did you right. have any issues with, with race? Was that something that ever came up or was it something that was always you know kind of left alone? You know, it, when I came through, uh, in the seventies, basically I was in high school, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, it wasn't a lot of racial tension, but, uh, uh, in spots. So, I mean, the KKK burned a cross in my yard when I was 12. And, uh, because I danced at a dance with, um, uh, a white girl, but that was the only girls that were white. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, a 12, 11, 12 year old kid, you know, you don't know why they are, what a burning cross is and you know they hung my german shepherd um so that's how it kind of started out so that's why you know basketball became like my (laughs) my best friend you might say basketball football basketball kind of branched out but yeah i had some but that's maybe 35 percent. the rest absolutely wonderful absolutely wonderful uh being here in not especially knoxville you know Right. Wow. I mean, that's wow. That's honestly shocking. I mean, it's it. You know, it's obviously we're a little naive to the situation. We don't experience anything like that. But man, that's that's incredible. I had no idea. Even yeah, you know, you think seventies. Yeah, and you think the seventies. You know, that, that wasn't that long ago. So it's it's just kind no. of mind blowing that people were acting like that. Right. Uh, now, obviously, one of the biggest stories of this year was the Washington Football Team finally changed their name. As a, as I'm sure a proud Native American, what are the? I'm sure you're super stoked to see it happen. What what are some of your thoughts about that? And and what do you think? Why it took so long to change it? And and I'm sure you're thrilled to see it change finally. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm happy of the change because it doesn't mean the same thing as it did. You know, uh, things change, and if you don't change as they change, it's you, that's when I think problems happen. I'm I'm happy that they changed it because. Uh, in Native America, I mean, which most Native Americans are, are like to be called First Nations, but okay. most Native Americans, we all know what we're talking about when we say Native American. It's like you say black, you say, you know, uh, African American. Those things, I'm like, which one? What do you say? I mean, why do you say it? <laughs> of course. I don't yeah. know. I'm like, why do you say it? I don't, you know, but, but I think when you stop talking about the differences, and start focusing on the similarities i think all that race stuff will kind of dissipate you know i really appreciate that love exactly i you know i can't help it because every day you know you have to deal with it whether you're white or black you have to deal with it and i think it's how we're raised and it goes back to you know how you're raised i think where you're from and and you're what you're exposed to uh creates that personality as an adult and uh you you know we're not we don't know if we're going to be uh born into a family of educators or a family of alcoholics or drug addicts yeah you know 
Yeah, the, right. and we're judged on the choices we make leading up the first 18 years of our life. So it's tough. And that's why sports just gave me such a, a platform and a reason to be like, oh, I can do this. So I can do that, you know, <laughs> and it teaches, taught me teamwork. But anyway, I got off the, the main question, but I just, I just, you know, I believe that. So, so please, tangent as often as you would like to. We'd love to have you on. We're so honored to have you on. So I, I just want to say, you know, I appreciate it first and foremost. Oh. And it's it's almost like you knew the question that I was going to be asking because you, you dovetailed perfectly by bringing up the first 18 years and then sports. So I wanted to talk specifically about your, your high school sports. You know, you were an All-American both in, in basketball and football. And then you got to play, you know, collegiately, you know, as well. What kind of game and playing style would you say that you had, both in football and basketball? What kind of player were you? Well, and I think I was more of – not I'm not comparing myself to this NBA player, but we have the kind of the same style of, of Damian Lillard. Uh, Ooh, just nice. say, that boy hot right now. Yeah. He, he attacks, yeah, and he attacks. You know, he knows when to let up, when to shoot, when not to. They let him go. He has a great, you know, uh, he sees the whole floor. And you know, Pete Maravich used to say, "You got to see the play before the play." You know, so a lot of these guys see, I'll throw you the ball because you're in a better position to give Wayne the ball, you know? So yeah. it's like, that's what made Larry Bird so well. But so basketball was more like that. And uh, maybe a little more street um, uh, style more so until I got to King college to a great coach. Uh, but football, um, you know, I was a natural quarterback, but um, again, we're dealing with the seventies and the, the football coach at the time said, uh, "Colored boys can't play quarterback. You ain't got the you ain't got the brains." He actually oh told God. me that. He it's told me sick, that. Man. As an oh. eighth grader going into a freshman year, I, I couldn't wait because I could throw and I could run and I could just. It was a natural position, so they said, "No, you got to you know, running back or wide receiver or defensive back." So I did those, and I enjoyed it, but I kept wanting to play quarterback. But they already had who they wanted to play quarterback, and. That's just the way it was, and uh, I was really frustrated my whole football time time at in in Carnes, Tennessee. Uh, great guys, but it was just you know if you're trapped, let's say if you're a you're a shooter and you got to play point guard, and in the '70s you either were a point guard or you were a shooting guard or you're a, a rebounder or you know Bernard King was re recruited as a rebounder in the first game he scored like 45 points and they went. Okay, Bernard, just whenever you want to. You just whenever you got the the green light, you know. He so, earned it. Uh, yeah, he did. And it, it, but if you're fortunate enough to play for coaches, well, see, I think you recruit athletes and you make them ball players. I don't think you're automatically a ball player. I think you learn that, and great coaches teach you how to be a ball player. And you got certain qualities. But when when that when that coach told me that that black people will never play quarterback. The following year, I'm at the camp, an all-sports camp at University of Tennessee, and guess who's playing ping pong, and he's beating everybody, and he's looks like he's my size, and I'm like 12 or 13 years old at the time, and it was uh, Conrad Holloway, and he was a freshman at UT, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they said if freshman could play uh, varsity, he would be our starting quarterback. I was like. The black guy, <laughs> and, uh, uh, Mr. Gus Manning was the uh, was there at UT, and he he had his arm around me. He said, "Boy, well, well, yeah. What do you mean? What do you?" 
I told him about my coach, what he said. He says, well, I think it's time to get a new coach, you know. <laughs> but, but, but you know, you learn. You learn, you know, with with that. And then now today, Connor and I are good friends, and he's one of the athletic directors at UT right now. So you never know uh, where something's going to lead you. But, yeah, that, that kind of happened. A lot of – a lot of things. I used to have to stay in the locker room in, in high school after the games because I was threatened by all these, a lot of older guys that didn't want me there, didn't want me on the team, or, or didn't want anything to do with me. They would threaten me, and so the assistant coach would uh, lock me in there, and about 3 or 4 in the morning, I would, you know, they would leave, wait till they left, and then I would walk home. And that wow. happened every every year, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior that's just so yeah you know but those things make you you know if you can go through that you know by the time you get to yeah by the time you get to hollywood that's like what who cares about a director (laughs) a producer casting director so what i've been been through tennessee kkk you know (laughs) i mean you know that i think a similar story to that is i know we watched the the last dance with michael jordan and they talked about in the olympics playing as uh, tony kukoc and they said, you know, oh, that these guys destroyed Tony Kukoc. And the other coach was saying, you kidding? This guy's got guys with machine guns outside of his house. He's not afraid of Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Europe is a little different than us when it comes to <laughs> So my next question is kind of getting into now college is over, right? You get a, a tryout with the Denver Nuggets, right, uh, the summer league. And you, you have a foot injury. And so you, you kind of miss out on that. And, you know, you kind of go into modeling, right, which kind of leads to acting. But I'm curious, you know, why not kind of like rehab and try again for basketball? What made you say, you know what, I w- I'm just going to. Yeah, I was. I, that was the that was the plan, you know. Okay. But you know what they say, you make plans and then God goes. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Every time. <laughs> that was great. So, so, <laughs> so I, you know, I was going to, you know, I started my rehab. I went to Miami. A friend of mine said, come stay with me, hang out, you know, we'll, we'll run on the beach when you when the cast comes off, because that was before they had orthoscopic surgery, <laughs> you know, so, uh, and, and instead of a break, it was a, a, a fracture, and so as you know, it takes a long time for a fracture to heal. They said you should have just snapped it in two, it would have healed quicker, but it never healed, and by that time, uh, Dallas, I think, started a new expansion team, and I was going to get a tryout with them, but then the modeling office started coming in, in Miami and the cast came off and started doing that. And I, you know, it just wasn't in the cards, I guess, you know, and I was, you know, playing against guys that were really, really just great players that never got it, that would never get a shot, you know, cause that was when they had like what, 10 or 12 rounds in the draft. Now second round is a tryout <laughs> basically. <laughs> Right out of the lottery is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, if you don't play on national TV, forget about it. Forget about going to NBA unless you're scoring 50 points a game and ESPN hears about you and or somebody and, you know, you're a phenom, phenom. But, um, you know, it's hard. I went to – I graduated at King College, and it's, you know, it's a great academic school. And now they're really they're, – they're, they're really good basketball team. Uh and, and it's just almost as well as their, uh, uh, you know, as, as, as their professors. The professors are, are like the ballplayers now. They're just almost equally <laughs> good there. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So that was, that was, it was tough. It was tough. I, I, I had a plan. I was going to play professional basketball. I wrote this down as a 12 year old, by the way, <laughs> I, I, I think I spelled professional with, with two, two F's, you know, <laughs> Profe- <laughs> professional. And uh, I said, after I get out of pro basketball, I'm going to go right into acting and I'm going to act for 10 years. And then I'm going to become a director and then I'm going to buy a team, <laughs> a basketball team. That was my 12 year old. Uh, I think I had to have the letter, the letter to myself. I think it was yeah. so, but it didn't quite end up that way. I tell people hey. now, I said, I act like a basketball player. You're two thirds of the way there. Exactly. I mean, you're <laughs> actor, director. Now you gotta do is buy that team, man. Got to make some chips to buy those. Things. <laughs> Teams are expensive. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, the acting and, and modeling, you know, clearly worked out and you know, we're, we're obviously very thankful for that. So, but you moved to NYC and you start studying yeah. at the Sunday Institute under Robert Redford. Well, he was in Utah. Oh, was he in Utah? Utah, But in in New York, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Now, were there any other like famous actors, actresses in your like class with you there at that time, or? Oh yeah, you got DB Sweeney. We were in the same. That's um, crazy. We're talking to him right now. We're Uh, trying to get him on right now. Actually, you tell him his silk set. He better get his butt on there. (laughs) (laughs) We're big fan of Eight Men Out. Yeah, so. Oh my God! What a what a terrific actor he is, and what a great guy! What a down to earth and a good friend. He's very loyal, and he treats everybody nice. Um, That's I, so I learned crazy a lot. DB, he he um, we did a thing at, at Sundance Film Lab at uh, Robert right. Redford's place, and he uh, that's where we met. And then the next thing you know, we're making uh, Heaven Is a Playground, which was written for Albert King, Bernard King's uh, yeah. brother. And um, but he's you know, Rick Tellender. He was a Sports Illustrated writer, great writer. And Randall Free directed the movie. So, but that's where DB and I met. And uh, oh my God, Peter Weller. I met a lot of uh, a lot of uh, actors that were already great actors that I didn't know who they were because I was yeah. just coming up. In fact, Denzel Washington is the one that told me about White Man Can't Jump. <laughs> it was written for him. Yeah, oh we're, man, we're, we're just about it. We were, he, me and Rain were talking about that before you came on. It's crazy, and I mean, it, he was preparing to play Malcolm X when the offer when Ron Shelton, uh, who's the greatest sports writer director in sports uh, film history, you know, uh, Bull Durham was probably the best. I think I'm, it's my opinion is the best sports movie in the world, especially baseball, because you could smell that walk, that long walk when you got that got your walking papers you could smell the <laughs> locker room you know it was just such a great um depiction of of uh that league before you go to the to the big boys and how he depicted that but anyway um learned a lot ron shelton but uh yeah that was uh i mean just the fact that i was able to play at a certain level and then ended up playing in movies being able to do that was it was actually a um a dream come true. Actually, I witnessed it in real time playing out. That's and awesome. uh, it's so surreal, <laughs> you know, and that's why I met a lot of people. Like when I, I played in the, in the ABA briefly, you know, for the, um, the, the a, a team in LA that, um, that 
they purchased and it was just so much fun. I would have paid, played for free, but, <laughs> you know, and they thought I was uh, a lot of the guys that were on the team. They thought they'd played against me somewhere years ago. And then, but you know, movies were out. So I didn't tell them I was an actor and they didn't, they were confused. So I'm in the layup <laughs> line. I'm in the layup line, right? I'm shooting layups and I'm throwing the ball off the glass and dunking it and shooting threes and winning shooting contests. And they, they think I'm just a ball player from Tennessee. And then, <laughs> of course, White Man Can't Jump comes on like the marathon or something it does every year. And I go to practice the next day. And they were like, No way. You're the same guy. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, that's that was kind of a, a fun thing <laughs> to me. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate when an, an NBA player or a pro player says, "Hey, man, I got this guy on my team," or "Let's play some two on two or you know, you know how it is. That's just a. So wait, wait. can you still dunk? High. Not right now. No. <laughs> About four year, four years ago was my last time I threw it up and put it down. I mean, you you're uh, don't don't get mad at me now. You are in your sixties, right? I don't know how old I am. I don't remember. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm okay with that. But I mean, I'm, even I'm still, the, that's impressive. Yeah. If you I, I, if you can uh, dunk yeah. in your late 50s, that's hella was, impressive. I'll put it. I'll put it to you this way. I was 50 when I uh, played uh, when I signed with the ABA uh, uh, team. Oh wow! The Hollywood oh, Hollywood okay. fame. <laughs> so I didn't play a whole season, but you know, just still. the fact that I got to play. You know. I'm, it, 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 you never, it never leaves you. All guys dream about playing a pro sport of something, well, even oh, skateboarding. It doesn't yeah. matter. And I I'll play racquetball. I don't care. Absolutely. I always say I would play on an NBA team. I'll be the wor- the last guy just to dress out on the on the, you know, the, just to do the, be in the warm up line. I- <laughs> <laughs> Master no, P no. lives. No, so, <laughs> with your passion for basketball, and with you starting to get into some roles. Did you did you feel like maybe you were getting pigeonholed into those athletic roles, almost like a, a guy like Leon who was in you know Cool Runnings, he was in Above the Rim. Did you feel like you were getting pigeonholed, you know, strictly into athletic roles? I didn't, but people told me I would be, and I thought, you know, wait a minute, these are people that are tell the people that were telling me that were people that couldn't get the roles that I got. <laughs> so I'm Jealousy. thinking, what you know, yeah, yeah. and then I thought. If you're good, you're good, you know. What's so it matter? Uh, yeah, and that was my mentality. But then you're dealing with Hollywood and the the phony and fakeness of it, and you deal with agents. And you got They're like shoes. Agents are like shoes. You put them on. If they fit, great. As long as they fit, it's great. But the moment they wear out, you got to go to another one. You got to get another one. You know, unless analogy. you find that great one that stays with you. That, but not many do that. So I had to learn. You know. I mean, I had to learn hard because <laughs> I'll tell you one thing far as the racism thing in Hollywood, it, it, it exists and it, it existed. But let's say an actor like like me going into audition for uh, White Men Can't Jump or Blue Chips or Eraser or any of the movies that I've done, there were probably 20 to 30 uh, black actors for that one role. OK, now. For the white roles, there uh, there were thirty roles, you know, but yeah. for different uh, movies. So you, and and that was the hard thing is because you're competing with, and all these guys, and you end up being friends with everybody, and you're like, 
hey, if I don't get it, I hope you get it. And they'll go, hey, if I don't get it, I hope you get it. You know, and now <laughs> you're lying. You know, but, um, <laughs> it was real hard because uh, you didn't get the, the amount of auditions. There wasn't enough roles, you know. It, it sounds friendly, it's, but also still is, dog eat but, dog. But, yeah, so, tell me. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, so we get into uh, I've always considered White Men Can't Jump to be the best basketball movie of all time. I, I know people say uh, Hoosiers, but I think that you know White Men Can't Jump is right there. Blue Chips. We were just talking about this before the show. Is, is just a tier below, oh. you know, uh, those movies. Um, and I'm curious yourself as a uh, as an actor. I mean, you watch movies. You've got to be a fan of movies. You mentioned Bull Durham being you know, the best sports movie of all time, in your opinion. But I'm curious, what's your favorite sports movie that you can watch from start to finish, you know, a hundred times in a row, just not get sick of it? You're gonna laugh. You're gonna laugh. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's a. I'll give you two hints. It's a baseball movie, and Dennis Quaid is in it. <laughs> the rookie. Yeah. The rookie. I know. That's fantastic. Go Braves, baby. I, I'm just. I. I, 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 I literally. Cry at the same time, at the same place, like when, he, <laughs> when he's on the phone with his wife, and, and, and he, he says, tells "Honey, her. is that is that jacket that jacket still ready?" And you know, yeah. I just lose it. I lo and then when he brings his kids to the trial, you know, he's I got the <laughs> kid with the diapers, and he's like, "Hold on, I'll be right there." You know, <laughs> throwing you know against the the, the 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 how he threw the ball and being at that the age, I always said, "Man, I wish I could have." Yeah, I wish I could be that character, but in basketball and in my 40s. So I could still shoot. Let's say they had a, a new rule saying a new designated shooter in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, people, for, for those that those that can't shoot foul shots. <laughs> you hear the buzzer in there. I come off the bench. Yeah, all right. You know, <laughs> no pressure. That's but, awesome. uh, yeah. I, I think the NBA version of that movie would be some guy who can barely touch the backboard. Then when he turns 41, has a 40 inch vertical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would work. <laughs> hey, I was really happy about uh, the Michael and the film that that uh, the documentary they did. I thought they really, I mean, did a pretty detailed version of that. Um, it ended up being oh, more Michael, Michael's. Yeah. And, and um, he's an incredible guy incredible human being. I wouldn't want to be him though. I was with him one time, we had dinner and uh, people kept coming up to us, you know, obviously they recognized him and a few people might've said, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, the actor guy, you know? And then uh, one guy comes up to us, he's in a suit, you know, and he, he's obvious, he was obviously a little intoxicated and he goes, oh my God, we're in Toronto, right? He goes, oh my God, Michael fucking Jordan. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, and then Mike looks at me like, okay, here we go again. So the guy goes, Mike, I just want to know what would it be? I just want to know what it's like to be Michael for one day. Just one day. And then Michael looks at him without even missing a beat and he goes, well, that ain't fair. And the guy goes, what do you mean? <laughs> and he goes, um, try being Michael Jordan for more than one day, like a year, six months. Get the downside of being Michael Jordan. Then you can say what it's like to be Michael Jordan. <laughs> and I was like, damn. <laughs> you know, and now you realize that's true. That's not fair. You know, you're only seeing me when I'm up. What about when I'm down? I just lost my father. I don't know if I, I'm going to play the game again. I, You know, uh, if I have a kid, will that kid, 
you know, resent me for being who I am and he's trying to be who he is. I mean, all those things go into being a, 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 an icon like that. And I learned a lot just being around him. I, I asked him one time, I said, who are the best, the best ball players, basketball players you've ever seen? NBA, off street, wherever. And he goes, you don't know him, Kozak. This, I said, what? He goes, you wouldn't know him. He said, and he said, just like now, there's some 12, 13-year-old in some uh, place off the side of the street jamming left hand, right hand, shooting jumpers left and right uh, that, that's, that jumps higher than I do. He said, there's somebody out there that's going to just, you know, pass us all. He said, so, you know, and, and, and everybody is not gifted to be able to. There's a lot of great players, but they might not be mentally ready to play the game. They've gotten used to being who they are and where they are. They might not be coachable. He said, so a lot of times you got great players, but they don't fit. And, you know, in the NBA, you get paid to win, not play. You know, you don't get paid to play. You have to win or you <laughs> see you, you know. Yeah. So now this is going to be an odd question, okay? Okay. I'm trying to give tough... you an odd answer. Yeah, well, it's a tough one. Okay. Now, what's your favorite movie that you're in that you watch of yourself? Oh. Well, <laughs> well, first of all, let me preface it by I really don't watch a lot of my movies. I, I figured uh, as much, honestly. Um, and so I, it's really about the movie you're doing now. <laughs> but oh, okay. I really enjoy White Man Can't Jump because it infused every, you know, everything that I, I love, you know, from basketball to acting to meeting great players and having friends like Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes and a great guy like Ron Shelton, who these people you want to be around, whether you're making a movie or, or walking down the street, it doesn't, you know, these are great individuals that happen to be great filmmakers. So that it, Ron Shelton created the atmosphere that was, it spoiled me by the way. I mean, he spoiled me. I'm like, I thought everybody was going to be nice and intelligent. <laughs> you treat the you treat the person that cleans up the same as you do the executive that 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 signed your movie, and that's Ron Shelton. Uh, quick story: We were doing a movie called Play It to the Bone with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Banderas, a boxing movie, and we were in yeah. Vegas. And uh, Mandalay Bay had just been built, and it hadn't nobody had stayed in it, and they wouldn't open it until because the the pool was made like a beach and the machine that made the waves was broke and it hadn't been fixed. So they allowed us to come in and start filming and staying in the hotel for like a month before it even opened. So we had the whole Mandalay Bay for a month and a half before they opened it. And, and so we were rehearsing one day and this, <laughs> this one, I think she was like an intern. And uh, I would, we had just, you know, you know, you set up a scene and you put tape down to where that's where you your marks are, right? So we did that, and then we broke for lunch. Well, I got back early because I like to just get back on the set and go over stuff. You know, I'm the only one there. And all of a sudden, this girl who was uh, one of the ADs, she comes up and she goes, oh, hey, Silk, I'm, I'm Renee or whatever. I'll be working. I said, okay. And Ron Shelton comes up, and just me and Ron starts talking about the scene. And Ron, you know, he's dressed in uh, jeans, T-shirt, and a baseball hat. Uh, and he looked like the janitor, probably. And so the, the girl says, uh, you, uh, and she said, Silk, uh, do you want a coffee or do you want something to drink? 
Uh, and I said, well, maybe water. And she goes, hey, you, um, go get uh, uh, two waters and uh, a coffee if you want a coffee. And Ron looks at me. I looked at him. And I, we both kind of grinned because we knew she didn't know. And Ron goes, okay. <laughs> so, Ron goes to craft service, comes back with, 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 with uh, water on a little thing. And given she goes, okay, now what are you supposed to be doing? And he goes, well, right now I'm going to set up the scene that we're shooting. She goes, her, all the blood left her. her face. <laughs> and, and she goes, you're He goes, I am. And, uh, and so it taught me something valuable, a lot of lessons in that one moment that, he could have made her feel so bad. He could have made her feel like a piece of crap and yelled and stuff. And we know a lot of people that do a lot of yelling and stuff. You know what he did? This man said, he puts his hand on his shoulder. He says, honey, he said, let me give you some advice. He said, uh, don't assume anybody on the set is anything but what their tasks are. He said, uh, you know, yeah, I'm the director and I can get you water. and You can get me water, but don't do that again. <laughs> and she, you know i felt something there and i learned a big lesson there and it's like just treat everybody like just treat everybody like you would you know your friend or your family why not you get a better right. performance out of them no matter what they do then he just might make a new friend true statement silk my man so i think wayne sent you a copy of a our lot, man i, I think Wayne sent you a copy of our questions because you seem to be dominating every time it's turn. It's my turn for a question. You already seem to be on it. <laughs> oh, no. My, my, my question is here about, you know, directing Thanks, styles. And, and, and you gave us a wonderful story about Ron Shelton. And so, you know, I'm going to tie it into sports because, as we know, sports, like acting, you can have hard-nosed guys like a Bobby Knight and the football coach that you, you unfortunately had to, you know, Get, go through and then you have you know gentle kindler team friendly guys like ron shelton so it, it kind of sounds like based on your story you prefer to work with guys like ron shelton who are are actor friendly guys who can teach you lessons without making you feel bad like he did right there is that the type of director you you prefer to work with and, and is that the type of directors that um majority of hollywood has i believe that is the epitome of a, of a great director and most people think directors are people that just start telling people what to do you go here yell and yelling and doing action that's all they do no a great director has the same qualities which is they could they listen they they have a great ability to listen to everybody in each department you listen to your actors and you see what they brought to the table before you start directing anything you you meet with each department head before you rehearse so you like Ron would sit down with the costume designer and say, how do you like to work? Do you have two or three changes for all of my stars? Or do you, who do you work with? What stores do you have a relationship with? How do you, what can I do to make your job easier or better? That's Ron Shelton. Then you meet with every department head like that. They, they can't wait to get to the set. And so everybody's on the same page. That's the world that I came from. I learned that way. You listen. The listener is the most important person in the scene. As as an actor, you can't react unless you hear what's being said to you. So you have to listen so you can react. And it's more of a real reaction then. So you don't have to act, you know. So I had to learn that. And Ron taught me a lot about that. So, yeah, he's the kind of direct. Dick Donner is the same way. Dick Donner will 
he'll set the scene up like Ronald set the scene up and then he'll say, let's, let's just rehearse it. And then he'll let you bring in what you brought in and he'll say, okay, one more time. And then you end up doing what you probably rehearsed and he will allow you to, like we were talking earlier off camera, improvise as long as you're, you don't get carried away like Wesley did one time. And I'll tell you about that. Um, <laughs> you can go a little bit too far, you know, and Spike Lee, we did a little something there in school days. That was a, a, a where it should be a, a new series called when, when um, um, ad libs go wrong. <laughs> but That'd yeah, he's great a, series. yeah, great directors allow you to work and they put they put you in the environment that, that that's best for everyone so you, you at the end of the day on a dick donner movie or a ron shelton movie you're like we gotta go i don't want to go i don't want to go home you know and, instead of going to some i've worked with some directors i'm not gonna obviously name uh but they're <laughs> um you go to the set and you're like you feel like you're walking on eggshells and you don't you're afraid to say hello to somebody you know you that, who who feels like working there? I don't care what kind of job you do. Who feels like working in that kind of environment? So I I learned really quick what a a a, a good set is and what a, a horrible set is. You know, you walk on a set and before you get to the area, you can hear them yelling at each other. You know, might as well turn around, and go back because that's going to be a set from hell. You know. <laughs> you know. Yep. My question is getting into your directing. You just directed um, you know, Ball of Confusion, which I know watching an interview with you, it seems like it's kind of a documentary style where it kind of follows the evolution of the game of basketball. And you and a friend of yours kind of growing up through that evolution of basketball. I was curious as a director, um, you know, there's directing actors, telling them where to stand, what sort of emotion you want from them. And when you direct a documentary, you don't really have to do that. But I'm curious what sort of challenges come up directing a documentary that you don't have when you're directing actors. Well, first of all, <laughs> when you're directing actors, <laughs> you I learned like with Ron and with Dick Donner and even Spike Lee, they taught me that to let the actor bring in what that actor has brought in. And then you direct that. And with the documentary, you have to be factual and you have to be uh, exact. And whereas in an acting scene for a feature film, you have a lot more room to play with. Um, documentaries can go on and on and on. It's like, you gotta know when to end it, when to stop it. Like I was gonna, uh, we were gonna try to put uh, the film out, uh, Ball of Confusion out a couple of years ago, but then we found the only voice recording of Dr. James A. Naismith, the only one on the planet. It was in the library of, of University of Kansas in, a, in the back of a, in the corner, you know, on the old wow. reel to reel, you know? And I was like, oh my God, thank God I did, you know, but yeah. you know, you gotta know when to say, okay, it's over now, you know, or we can make it a five hour documentary, no. So <laughs> I decided to make it a 58 minute documentary and uh, it's, it's the history of the game. But more than that, it's about the, the using the simple game of basketball, how it brought cultures together. And uh, the, fir that first, uh, the first game in, 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 uh, um, in Germany in 1936, the first Olympic uh, game, we actually have the ball from that game. And we'll talk about that too. But my, my business partner, Keith Zimmerman, who grew up in Kansas City, 
grew up as a Jewish young Jewish boy, and his father had a gross at a store, um, a drugstore in like uh, where the Negro Leagues Museum was, uh, 18th in Brooklyn. It's like where the the big uh, the big stars in the African American community were. You know, Count Basie. You know, uh, he he was there with um, Satchel Paige. Wow. Was like an uncle to him when he was five years old. Satchel Paige had him on his knee and was talking baseball to him. Wilt Chamberlain walks in the, his grandfather's drugstore when he signed in '57 uh, in at uh, KU because he went to KU and Keith met him when he was five years old. And oh, wow. the Im- the impact of that and so the movie Ball of Confusion chronicles um, our lives as we were growing up during the 60s, 70s, 80s, and all t- up to today, what he was going through as a young Jewish kid growing up there and having both sides, like he would, uh, in, at his house and around his friends, he would listen to the Beatles and the Beach Boys, which was great. But then in the evening, when we'd go to Grandpa's store, he'd see St- Satchel Page and all those guys, he would listen to Motown and, you know, and he still <laughs> had all those worlds. I grew up in the South as, a, as my mom being Cherokee and my dad being Black. But living in a, a white neighborhood uh, and really listen to country music, basically. Uh, and then when I would go into the city of Knoxville, uh, I would see my relatives there that were listening to, you know, all the jazz and the blues and all that stuff. So we were fortunate to have all those worlds. And we combined the music with what was going on in the world at that time as we grew up and leading up to today. So it's a really... I didn't want to pattern the movie after any, I didn't want to, I wanted to, I didn't want any rules. I just wanted to make the movie that I wanted to make. And, and I give a tribute to Kobe at the end, uh, which people really just really, they left thinking, and it was only like a minute at the end, but it was, they, they are saying it was very powerful. Uh, We've been invited to over 180 film festivals. Uh, And obviously you can't go to all those, you can't go to all those. So we, we pick, we, we, we're going to Berlin and uh, and hopefully Toronto and hopefully can. But anyway, it's it's it, it, directing back to your question. I'm sorry. Directing a, a documentary, you more or less have to uh, uh, it's post-production, it's editing, it's timing. It's telling a story with all those old pictures and old video and old we had tape that looked like it was falling apart. I was like, Oh no, you know, you know, precious tape of Canadians, the Canadian team when they went over to Germany because Canada didn't pay for their Olympic athletes in 36 and the United States didn't pay for their Olympic athletes. So universal studios actor, he played, his name was Boris Karloff. He played the mummy. He played Frankenstein. He personally funded the Olympic, the American Olympic team to go to, to the first Olympic game. Wow. I mean, that I love it. It's history. I love, I always tell people in this movie, you might see 10% of basketball playing, but we're talking about the game itself, how it impacted the world, not just yeah. America. Yeah. So uh, the directing is totally opposite, totally opposite. And I learned to, to I'm a, I think I'm a direct, uh, an actor's director because coming out of the acting world, I kind of know uh, to leave when to leave somebody alone and when to give them a little help. You never tell an actor how to say a line or what to say. You just give them the, uh, you say, how do you feel about this? And based off of how you feel, action. 
right now because if you feel it, it's going to come out the right way. There is no Check. wrong way. So yeah. then, then it gives them a little uh, – you let them do a do one take. Uh, after you get to takes that you want as a director, you go, okay, now just whatever you want to do, let's do it. And you film that. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of times you you use that, that part because they're so uh, – you know, they're like, oh, I, they're so loosey-goosey that, you know, it, it, sometimes it comes out better than what they did before. That's incredible. Ron Shelton taught me that. Dick Donner taught me that too. Mel Gibson taught me a lot too, actually. I'm glad you brought up music during, you know, when you were talking about documentaries there. You know, us three spent a lot of time during the first part of COVID there, you know, going over the Last Dance documentary. And I think the music in that was so oh. spot on. And it, it meant a lot to that documentary. I mean, every time, you know, it seemed like they picked the perfect song for the right moment there. So I'm glad you touched on that. I didn't want to steal Sully's question or anything, but I just want to touch on the music. <laughs> I felt like I felt like it was impactful for the last dance. Well, and music uh, can and music should enhance a scene and not take away from it. It's like uh, a makeup job or, or a hair job. You shouldn't notice the hair, you know, how great the hair looks or how great the makeup job if it does it takes you out of the story it should blend in so you can absorb the scene and the, mu and the music should do the same you shouldn't exclude the scene because a song it's not the right song then it should blend and in, and so you can enjoy the scene and you associate each one with it like uh against all odds and and um the first movie that kevin costner did where he played a dead guy you know i can't think but that soundtrack was the best it, it, the soundtrack helped the movie, the movie helped music. Everybody became successful from that movie. Don't let it down here, Wayne. What was it? Uh, the Big Chill, I think. The Big Chill. I mean, he's, he's I knew he'd have it. <laughs> I knew he had it, too. But that, <laughs> soundtrack, that soundtrack was fire. I mean, it's always a good movie is always going to be a good movie. You can put uh -huh. it on, even if you know it, like, you know, The Rookie. <laughs> 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 now, who do you who would you say is your favorite actor or actress that you've ever worked with? Wow, you're gonna I know make some of my friends hate me. I know. <laughs> that's like saying that's like saying what's what? your favorite meal? What's your favorite thing to eat? Who's your favorite wow. child? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, not I, just I gotta, that. I would see your favorite, or she your favorite. I happen to think or feel that. Um, Wow, that's a, such a tough. Denzel Washington is the most incredible talent I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, he's he's just, my favorite actor he, of all time. He can go from zero to ten, and then cut, and he's like, "Okay, what y'all want to eat?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then action, and he's got tears. He's like, "Cut," and he's like, "Man, now what were you saying about uh, Tennessee?" Yeah, I mean, he can just he can, and he's so smart, and 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 I'm I, I'm not just saying it because he's the reason that I got white man can't jump or any of that. I mean, that's but he is such a practical guy. I would have been in a lot of trouble over the years just being in Hollywood in that scene had it not been for Denzel. He would mentor me. He would oh, say, amazing. I would say, hey, I heard there's there's this party going. I heard you know producers and directors are going to be there, and he goes. He goes, what? He says, what are you going there for? To party or to get a, get a part? And I said, well, both. And he goes, ain't going to happen. He said, don't go to a party expecting to get hired. He said, 
go to a party and have a good time if that's what you he said but if you go there expecting a job you're going to be disappointed and it taught me so much because he says you can't be framed if you're not in the picture (laughs) so i i thought i needed to go to all these hollywood parties i didn't have to go nobody gets hired at a party they people wanting to get high drunk get laid they're not going hey who can i hire here you know (laughs) it just doesn't work that way and and a lot of my friends and some are female that would come out to la thinking oh i'm in la i want to go to the parties where all the producers and directors are and i would i would be their denzel you know i would say well you got to think about why are you going why are you going to the party you know i would say don't go to lunch with some producer or director thinking you're going to get hired go to lunch or dinner if you're hungry and you like the company <laughs> that person go to the go to the office and audition for the part you don't need to go to dinner unless you like the per- really like the person if you really genuinely like the person as a person i would never tell you not to go to lunch or dinner but if you're going thinking you're gonna you're gonna be impressive and you're gonna be all cute he's not gonna be thinking about you cute you're it's a date in his mind most i'm not saying everybody does that everybody no, you, yeah. but in uh only 90 percent, you know <laughs> no that's no. probably the dead honest truth right there man i'm not like let's that's raw that's the raw truth yeah, exactly. it is it's the raw true. truth now, Silk, if you thought that Sully's question was going to have you hurting some feelings, I, I don't want you to burn any bridges here, but who is somebody Uh-oh. that you did work with that you would not work with again? Is there anybody in your acting career, male or female, that you worked with that you just you would not work with again? Or, or is there anybody out there that you've heard of that you're just like, uh, based on what I've heard of from people I, I know and trust, I don't want to be in a film with that guy. I don't want to work with them. You know... <clears throat> There's actually quite a few of those people. Oh. I hate to say that. And and I'm not going to give them the pleasure of saying who they are. I just want you to know for a fact, there's as many, and any, and I'm just being real, as many people that, but there were more people good uh, that were nice and everything than there were bad. But there were so many in Hollywood that you want to see. I'm from from a family that, you know, when you say, Hey, we, we love you. Well, they really mean it, you know? And in Hollywood, they'll say that to get you, uh, to get something out of you. And then you go through this thing and, you know, and the next thing you know, a year or two of your life has gone by and you wasted this time with this person. He's just going to the next, or they're just going to the next one. And then next thing you know, five years goes by and you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, and now it's my fault. Shame on me for allowing them to, uh, affect me that way. So there are so many, and you see this, uh, the, what's happening now with the Weinstein situation and all that. Uh, I, I had a situation where uh, at least four movies were taken away from me because I did not uh, participate in certain activities at certain parties and events. What? Uh, oh, oh my God. And then, you know, and, and you see, uh, and, and you're going to, I mean, there was uh, so many, there's a, a one producer, he's not around anymore. Uh, uh, he passed away um, shortly after he did some things, but uh, it's some bad people out there and, it, but it's some really good ones. And I always oh. look at it. I always look at it like this. Um, I say there's 
90% of the people that come up to me that recognize me or that, or people that want to get in the industry, you know, younger people or whatever, or people that think they can, Hey, there's an actor. I bet I can get it. I know they're wanting something. That's about 90%. I just wait on the 10% people, the 10 percenters to come around, you know, the ones that just like you just because they like you or they want to talk to you because they want to talk to you. They don't want, they don't have an agenda. Well, you know how difficult that is to decipher, but that's what they mean by keep your friends, your enemies closer, keep your, your friends close, but your enemies closer. I used to think that's stupid. Why would I want my enemies closer to me than my friends? But I learned it's because you can observe them. They think they're knowing more about you. You're observing your enemies to know, okay, how far to go. But if you're just lackadaisical and think they're your friends too, that's when you get hurt. That's what I've learned. That's my experience. You know, wow, that's a, that's an incredible story about the uh, roles taken away because you wouldn't participate in some of oh. said things. I, I mean, I, you know, you hear these stories, and you know, we're we're obviously not privy to the kind of stuff that you were and and are, you know, being in Hollywood, obviously. But I mean, that's just sickening to think, man. Oh, I, I think I, one Christmas I didn't I didn't get to come home because, and that's the only time I didn't get. And I said. I prayed to God, I said, God, I will never, this will never happen again, you know, and it didn't, thank God. But I was promised, you know, uh, uh, not only a role, but uh, a company owed me a considerable amount of money. And because it was a lot of money, I was thinking, oh, they're going to, you know, that's no big deal to them. But it got so close that I didn't have enough money to come home oh, wow. for Christmas. And I couldn't, and I had to lie to my family to tell them, oh, yeah, we're, doing this project and I, I don't remember what I said. I was so angry that I had to lie to my family. And then uh, I was put in that position and, and it was just because of greed and people, you know, wanted to withhold something that thinking they're going to get something later. And and I learned a big valuable lesson there, um, you know, about counting your chickens, you know, too, before they hatched. That, that was a big one. So it never happened again. So, and I, I kind of uh, mentor a lot of, a lot of folks and i make sure they know about the business side it's show business <laughs> the show is the <laughs> small part and if you don't do the right business the show ain't gonna happen and if it does happen yeah. and you do bad business it'll only be on for that long so i try to you know put the two together as much as i can yeah it'll chew you up and spit you out yeah and and wait on who's next <laughs> You know, actually, Patrice O'Neill talked about that. Uh, He's probably my favorite comedian, uh, the late, great Patrice O'Neill. And, you know, he was never one to play ball, right, and do the things that people wanted him to do. And he referred to that as he said, you know, Hollywood is just a giant dog that will eat you up, crap you out the other side. And then he has to go get in line to get eaten again. But here's it. There's people people lined up to get eaten and crapped out. (laughs) Right. And that's sad, isn't it? It's yeah. sad. And and you meet people out there that are willing to, I don't know, sell their soul, and they do it. Literally. They do it time and time again. And uh, it, you can't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can change a person. I think you can change the way they look at things, the way they view things, and then it's up to them to change after that. No, nothing else you can do after that. But I honestly think that if we concentrate on the things that we are similar, we have similar in each other, that 
because we've been concentrating on the things that are so different about it, you know, from politics and, and just world activities. It's all about how we're not the things that we're not alike. But what if we what if we really took a, took time to find out the commonality that we have with our our I don't want to say enemies, but let's say Republican, Democrat. Not that I'm I'm not trying to be political at all. Yeah, sure. But what if what if you know? Let's say you're on uh, one side and I'm on another. What if instead of attacking each other about what we don't like, what if we actually said, you know, where did you go to school? Oh, really? Oh, man, my dad went to that school. What is uh, so-and-so still there? I mean, just small things and issues to find. And I guarantee you, we'll we'll find more things that we are, are of like energy than we are of not. And I think that's a great place to start a negotiation from. Because I think we want the same things. We just have a different way of getting there. We all know how to get to New York, but I guarantee you there's some people that know different, more ways than we do. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, anyway, that's my little pet peeve of, of, of <laughs> judging. You know, I don't like to judge people at all. Well, that kind of, like Jesse was saying, you kind of lead perfectly into the next question every time is, uh, oh, you know, thanks. The, the he paid me. That- Wayne paid me. <laughs> $2.50. The, uh, <laughs> the, question, the question I had is that obviously we try really hard to put out the best possible products we can. We try to be professional. We try to be prepared. We try to have our questions right. We try to have the backgrounds right. Um, and, and what's frustrating at times, and I try to stay focused on the positives, there's always a, another show maybe out there, right, that isn't putting in the time and the effort, and they're not putting out the product that we are, but they're being more successful than we are. And, and I always try to focus on, you know what, that. I'm not going to worry about them. I can only worry about me. Let me just keep putting out the best possible product. But I'm curious, in your opinion, you know, have you done a movie where you got done the movie and you said, man, this is a, this is a really good movie. I'm really proud of this. And then you look at like some Pauly Shore movie or something that's blowing you away <laughs> ratings wise. Biodome. Shots fired. Some Rob Schneider yeah. movie. Oh, <laughs> that's cold. That's cold. Don't you go, Schneider? <laughs> so the question is: Yeah, do you do you ever like do a movie and then you're kind of a little upset that maybe a movie that you feel isn't as good as yours is getting more publicity or more you know love than your movie? No, that's never happened before. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can say it now. No, uh, yeah. yes. Um, you know, it's called marketing dollars. <laughs> you know, um, so that's why. I, and, yeah, and I think that's why your independent movies usually make all the 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 awards. Most of the awards, like ninety percent of the awards, are independents because they actually give a damn about what they're doing. And it's, and and not that the big movies don't, because trust me, we need the big ones and the big budgets and everything. But those smaller movies, man, like you know. But if you don't have the money. Uh, set aside as I'm talking as a filmmaker now because um, a lot of young filmmakers just want to get the movie made and they have no idea how to sell it or how to market it or what the demographics are. There's so much you got to do now. It's so different, but you still have to move with the times is moving. And uh, if you don't have the amount, the, the amount of, of funds to promote what you've just spent your blood, sweat and tears on doing to me, that's, not very uh, smart. I think uh, then you're relying on whatever happens, happens. I just don't think that's true. I think you should uh, try as many different ways to 
w- before you make the film, you should know, you should have an idea who want, who you want to see it and, uh, and, and get sponsors or something to, uh, to get it out there. Yeah. I've, I've, I made a, a movie that was, um, I thought was a really, a really good movie far as from an acting point of view. Uh, but you know, the studios look at it from a, a marketing point of view or from a timing or if somebody has a competing project, they'll take it off the market, you know, or they'll, uh, I mean, Hollywood is so cutthroat. I had a meeting with a, uh, a lady that ran a major studio. Uh, and, um, she told me how, how it worked. And she sent, she, we walked to right down from her office and she showed me a, the vault that had all these movies that had never been, played or seen and I, I mean there was thousands of them from years back and i said what this this movie has so and so and so and so i mean major stars in them they'll never see the light of day and i said why she said because uh we we take somebody else made a film that was better than that or they would buy it not let them put it out and they redid it or added to it or just took it off the market. And I, it never dawned on me that they would, and can you imagine being the writer or the director of that movie in pa- Paramount? Oh, I said Paramount. Uh, uh, or any of the studios. <laughs> hey, trust me, say anything and everything on this show, man. We, yeah, I we feel like Mike it, Tyson, right? man. Where's my joint? <laughs> <laughs> no, but. Uh, <laughs> Slowly no, uh, pass it over to him, boy. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. But you know, it's like, you don't think about those things. Like you're telling everybody, yeah, Warner Brothers and Paramount so just bought my movie, you know, all right. Really? Oh, good, okay. A month later. Hey, when are they when's your movie coming out? I don't know, but you know, they bought it and they, they got it, you know. Three months goes by. Hey, and you, you try to call Paramount or Warner Brothers, you can't get anybody on the phone. Uh you're like, wait a minute, I, when are you putting out my movie? Uh well we, we the plan it's it's in the plans. <laughs> they, they, never, they have no they're not doing they it. so they have so much uh content that they could use that unbelievable and, and you know of course disney has they're the they have the most content of anybody on the planet you know oh, they've yeah. got content from way back mickey mouse stuff you know they got they could lose <laughs> every, they could lose their whole tv division and still have more than any studio put together those other studios so um it, 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 it now you can make a movie with your cell phone and you don't have it to have those marketing dollars that you normally would have. So the game has changed a little bit. And um, I'm glad I went through the metamorphosis. I'm glad I went through that 35 millimeter stage where you actually shot on real film. You actually could see the editing, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you got to, you got to really see the process because it's always going to be a process. And I think the watching all these great directors and working with them, I would get up in the morning just early, even if I wasn't shooting that day, just to see how Ron Shelton, where he would set the cameras and where the the sound guy would put, you know, things and where how the the gaffers would light the stages and all that helps the acting. You know, then it wasn't so mysterious when you get to do it. You know, and Hollywood tries to make things feel like they're the only ones that can do certain things, you know, and or they try to say, well, sports movies don't do well. This was a long time ago. And they're like, 
uh, really? <laughs> uh, until, you know, the real good ones come along and you go, okay, there's that theory. So you just make the movie and make the show, put on the event that's in your passion that you want to make. You know, that's what you do. That's what I learned. Now, going through all of that, what's something that you think back on and you're like, God damn it. I wish I wouldn't have passed on that. Like, I really wish I'd have taken that reading or taken that gig. And you just, at the time, you know, I get it. It probably wasn't right. But after, you know, hindsight, looking back, you're like, damn, I should have done that. Well, you're going to laugh, but it was the rookie. This I was this close. <laughs> for it, you were almost no. in it, too. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there was, there was, there was two projects. One was when I got to Hollywood and being Native American and, and black uh, was a little different. They didn't, didn't have many people that had my look. And I went to, I auditioned for a movie for a character that was uh, Hispanic and I believe uh, white. So, and it was called La Bamba. And oh, to play Richie Valens' brother was, ha you know, half, I think he was, um, it was Latino and I think white, I believe. I'm not, I can't remember exactly. So I was, um, they, they gave me a screen test. So it was between me and Isai Morales, right? And it kept going back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, uh, wow, you know, and so the family liked both of us. But before they hired Isai, I was in the running. And my agent at the time, he says, you know, it's not going to look right. It's not going to look good. They're probably not going to use you because, uh, you know, you're African-American and Native American, not Native American and Hispanic, which was what he was. And I said, well, but I can act, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, he, and he said, no, I think we're, we're going to, you know, pull out at this point and concentrate on some more athletic roles. Ah, that day, he did that. And, uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, Isai is a great actor and he's one of my good friends, but I didn't even get a chance. I mean, I got that close and it didn't, you know, I always wondered what, what would have happened then. And, you know, and then on something like Jerry Maguire, it was between me and, and um, Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba Gooding. He, oh, wow. You know, I didn't know that. And, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That would going back crazy. And forth. Oh, Show man. Show the know, money. Yeah, and see, I would have done that. And it's like, you can have 10 actors and line them up and have each one say that line. And each one will give you a different rendition to show me the money. That was Cuba's way. I might have done it a whole like, show me the money. You know, <laughs> so many, you know, it's so many ways you can do things. And that's why you got to do what's, you know, you bring to the table and don't try to do what somebody else has done. So yeah, that that was uh, those two. I guess it's not exactly the in the framework of what you. No, that's said, that's definitely I, it. Yeah, I didn't get those, an opportunity. Those are both movies you know, we like both we all know about. Did. Uh, I know there was a lot of movies. I, a lot of movies I wanted to to get in, and you didn't get. <laughs> I mean. I, I would love to play. I would love to play James Bond, but I'm not British. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got they let Scottish people do it too now. 
I'm pretty sure Pierce Brosnan's Irish. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. <laughs> you know, and they're all in the same island. Yeah, so. I did a movie. With Pierce. He's a great. He's a great guy, Pierce. I did, um, but uh, what's the guy's name? He's British. Uh, he's black. Uh, Iris, Idris Elba. Iris. Oh, yeah. Idris Elba. Yeah. yeah. What a yeah. fantastic actor. What a great. I think he. They should let him play James Bond. I mean. Just to have oh, absolutely. Way of- I, I'm pretty sure he's in the running. Exactly. I hope it's, they do. Well, I heard that it might. It's probably not going to happen. But who knows? Uh, I hope it happens. Um, uh, I don't know who else would be able to play that role. I mean, he's just a no. great actor. He's got great presence, and to me, he's like up there. He's way up there. He'll get an Academy Award one day if he. He's pretty soon, I think. Oh, absolutely, he'd be perfect for 007, especially right now. You don't, you don't want to waste oh, his acting prime. He's got that swag, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that 007 yeah. needs. He's, he, did, he walks around with a lot of yes. charisma. I like it. Yeah. And it, so, so yeah. dipping back into... Yeah. Uh, and he makes you... What I think the best actors... Oh, sorry. No, no, oh, no. You're no good. Please, please, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just uh, going to say... Go ahead. Uh, from an acting point of view, we... we oh, I was just going to say, from an acting point of view, usually... We, I like to see actors that look like they're not acting, that you just mm-hmm. ca- caught them in a, in a talking to somebody or doing something. Those are your best, to me, those are your best actors. And that's, it's hard to get to that place as an actor because you don't want to be self-conscious. So that's uh, like De Niro, he doesn't look like he's acting. Tom Hanks, what a great actor. He doesn't look like he's acting. He's like you just having a conversation. So anyway, sorry oh, about that. It, no, no, please, please don't apologize. Yeah, it, it, it comes natural to guys like them. And I think another one that, you know, comes natural to um, that I like, you know, is Leonardo DiCaprio. I think it was very, very natural to him, very oh. organic. Tom um, Cruise, you know, what? Oh, absolutely. Uh, dipping back into basketball here, Silk, I want to, uh, you know, you mentioned playing some ABA in, uh, you know, the California area. Did you also play in the NBA Entertainment League? Oh, I helped start the league. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Can, can you can, can you talk to me a bit about that league and some of the players that came through that league? Oh, it's one of first of all, it was one of the best times I've ever had on a ten year from a ten year. I played for ten years in a row. What and, was that ten uh, year span? Just so our fans uh, but, can know. Um, that's. Um, let's see. From two thousand two thousand one or two thousand two to two thousand ten. Something Oof. like that, or ninety nine to to two thousand to two thousand. Yeah, I played for that that ten year, that right in there, uh, and and I uh, brought my friend with me, uh, Dean Kane. I introduced yes. him to that league, and Superman, uh, who's he's phenomenal. What a great he is, and he really is Superman. He's one of the kindest, generous, and guys you'll meet, and very very humble and very intelligent. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you don't go to Ivy League school just to be a dumb sure, on a whim. Him yeah. and Brooke Shields, you know, they were dating very much. But, uh, yeah, um, God, I met so many great, great uh, actors and directors and people on all. It wasn't just actors playing in the league. And one of the, one league, one one year, you know, you got you got drafted, too. So that was fun. And you got to go to the party where you see what team you got drafted on. You're like, I'm playing with Snoop. This is great, you know. Or me, it was. Let's see, one year it was myself, Justin Timberlake, Snoop Dogg, and uh, Ice Cube. We're all on the same team, and um, and one year, team. oh my God, it was so yeah, it was 
A lot of fun after the game too. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But, but well, we know we know Ice Cube has a passion for basketball. Look what he's doing oh, with the big three. Yeah. Big three, and you know it's coming. It's supposed to be Olympic sports uh, three on three now. Two thousand twenty, I think. It's what Nancy Lieberman said anyway, because she coaches for she coached and she won the championship. Lady Magic. Oh, nice. She she's probably gonna be the first head NBA, head coach in the NBA female. She's a big deal. She probably will. She is the deal. She is. <laughs> I never seen anybody play like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say about Lady Magic. She's just phenomenal. Yeah, my question actually is, I'm gonna change my question from what I had because we kind of answered this one earlier. So I want to change it to play off of Jesse's question, which is in the NBA Entertainment League. You know, you're oh. a uh, guy who had a college scholarship try out with the Denver Nuggets, like you can ball, right? And in the NBA Entertainment League, we have the other half of Flight and Willie, which is Willie, Dwayne Martin, also Kyle Watson from Above the Rim. Who's the better guard, you or him? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm I'm more of a a shooter, score. Dwayne, Dwayne Martin, great. You know, he was the last guard to get cut by the Knicks before he uh, became an agent and started acting and all this stuff. He's... He was unbelievably talented. Um, uh, you know, we're different, two different types of players. He's that real, he'll lull you to sleep and he could jump real high. He's got a nice shot. I'm, I try to kill you every play, you know, <laughs> like, you know, but um, you got, oh my God, it was so many great players. Nigel McGill, uh, Rick's, Rick Fox's brother came and played and, you know, nobody knew he was Rick. Fox's brother, he was like 6'5", he could jump out of the gym and could shoot. I'm like, it's an NBA player playing over here, you know? And uh, uh, Jamal Wilkes came a couple of times. I mean, it's just player after player. Uh, there's a guy that owns a company. Uh, his name is Broderick Johnson. He's about 6'6", six, 6'6 six, six, six and a half, about 260. And he played, played ball, um, I believe, at Harvard or Yale or somewhere big. And um, he became like this executive, and uh, you know he, he did a movie, did a movie uh, uh, with uh, with Denzel, uh, where Denzel played the the blind guy. Uh, God, oh, bone collector? No, he was on. No, um, no. Uh, anyway, he uh, shot in Mexico. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Ezekiel. Uh, oh God, what was it called? No, the Book oh, of yeah, Eli. Book of Eli. Book yeah, of Eli. Book of Eli. Yeah. So That's he did that that film. He produ- he he put that out, and he also put, such a great uh, movie. Six, it was great movie. He also put out a movie I did called Sixteen Blocks. They bought yeah. that oh, and put that out great with Bruce. We were talking Willis, about that earlier. With Bruce yeah, most death. Oh, uh, so um, but Broderick, I didn't. Nobody knew who he was. You just saw this big old guy, and he could shoot outside. He never would go inside. He always tried to shoot. So the game that I had my uh, I broke the league record single is like 46, 48 points. Uh, I hit like 12 threes or something like that. Anyway, so after the game, you go in there, you go in the dressing room, and the other team is getting ready to play the other team. So you're you're passing, you know. But then I waited late, and I went in, the, and he would just got out of the shower. He's sitting there, and he's like this. And he's like – and I was like, hey, man, good game. And he goes, yeah, for you. You know, <laughs> he, actually was, he actually was mad at me. And uh, I said, hey, man. He got, I said, oh, I said, hey, hey. Got you know, some days the goal looks like it's this big, you know. And he said, uh, man, I ain't never been beat like that. I said, Well, uh, where are you from? He told me, he said he played. I said, I knew you played somewhere. And I said, Oh, by the way, what do you do? He goes, 
Oh, I own Alcon Productions. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, sorry, I sorry about that. What I did, the elbow, I didn't mean it really. Uh, just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, what are you, are you here to play basketball? Are you here to get a job, right? Hey, I'm like Bernard King. He, he <laughs> if it's played against his brother, he would like never. He wouldn't smile. He never. He said if he smiled and act like he was, he couldn't play hard. He couldn't play his best. It said he he was like he had yeah. always had a scowl and it's always like. <laughs> but he was Bernard King. He could do that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Before uh, Dan gets to his question, is that you know Bernard King actually is one, might be one of the most underrated NBA players of all time. I mean, he was so good, so, and people don't really know him like the, the this age player, you're right? Uh, but I think that it's funny that you brought him up a couple times because I think of that line again in White Man Can't Jump when uh, it's eight eight and they're like, hey, well Billy's white, so we don't want him to play. And it's like you could bring Bernard King in here. We hitting two and we out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh. You put he that line special. in the movie, didn't you? Was special. <laughs> Not me. But, you know, Robert, oh, don't don't forget about the improv. I'm going to tell you what happened uh, on White Man Can Jump, an improv story real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, we're actually we're we're here, here right through. now. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, we're good? Okay. Well, we're shooting. Yeah. You know the scene where, you know, the two guys that were chasing Woody the whole movie, the Stooky brothers? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the guy who had a beard. One had, Okay. One of them was my roommate. His name's Frank Rossi. Great actor, great writer. <laughs> awesome. He teaches, teaches acting right now. So... I said, no, you got to, you know, so I introduced him to Ron and everything. So anyway, gets the part. He's got a shotgun. There's a scene where they got Woody's in his underwear and he's got, he's in handcuffs and they're like, Hey, bring the money. You know, he goes, I'll have the money. You know, I'll get the money. So that scene afterwards, Wesley, Wesley, we did a scene where Wesley and Woody were talking about what just happened. And Wesley being the ad lib King that he is, he just started going off on the like, yeah, well, you Guido motherfucker, you know, this and that and this and that. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and Ron goes, wait a minute. Cut. What are you talking about? Guido guys got a gun on you. You're going to say, you're going to call him a Guido motherfucker. <laughs> I don't think so. And then Wesley, Wesley goes, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, some things you can get away with, some things you can't, you know, so. Oh, and the whole so now- scene where I, I go back to SeaWorld, that, Ron let me make that up. That was all, I got to make that up. I said, give me That's one more awesome. take. I said, I feel, I, I feel like I, I got something else. And I didn't tell Woody what I was going to do. I, I just said, give me the ball. Let Wesley guard me. He's not supposed to guard me anyway. He's not supposed to be able to guard me anyway. So we had a lot of choreographed uh, plays, but they were they felt staged. And I asked Ron before he started changing the scene to go to the next scene. I said, Ron, can we do one more? I got one more in me. I, I, I something I want to do. And he goes, I don't want to hear it. Just do it. <laughs> I said, okay. So they, they set it back up, and Woody goes, Oh God, what are we gonna do? Silk wants to do something. You know, and, I, and I, so that whole time we did the dialogue. But when I got the ball at the top of the key, I had no idea what I was going to do or say. And Wesley didn't know either. I, I didn't tell him. So I was dribbling the ball behind my back, between my legs, talking like, you know, what I said. And I pump fake went up. And I thought I missed the shot because it hit the back and it goes straight up. And I went, oh, my fault. You can hear me in the back say, oh, my fault. And then it goes in. I was like, yeah, both of y'all, both of y'all go back to see and SeaWorld. It wasn't written. It just came out. I thought, go go back to the beach, you know, the where they play beach ball. You know, yeah. this is this is Watts, you know. 
<laughs> so it became like one of the most the the everybody remembers that scene i go to i was in africa and go go back to sea world <laughs> unbelievable sir that was just changed my life that movie so now speaking of that movie and speaking of basketball and you had mentioned that you know obviously in that time there weren't a ton of roles so a lot of african-american actors were uh, auditioning for the same roles so there's a rumor that you were up for the sydney role and it obviously went to Wesley Snipes, yeah. uh, and you ended up playing the role of Robert. And uh, now, there's obviously this another rumor that Wesley Snipes is not very good at basketball. There's actually a rumor that he's pretty terrible at the game of basketball. <laughs> now, for one, is he terrible at the game of basketball? And did it irk you that somebody so bad at basketball ended up getting a basketball part over you? <laughs> well, okay. Now you gotta you gotta give me something here because that was then and we thought a, a way certain way then when you're going through it, and thirty years later, you're like yeah, think a little bit different. So at the time, I was like, How could but how could he, why would they, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and Ron Shelton said to me, and that's when we became, I, I said, I told him when he took me to dinner to tell me that the news, because he had he had tried to, he, he put, I was in first position. Uh, everybody was reading with me. Tom Cruise came in to read with me. He left. Oh, wow. uh, um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Keanu Reeves came in after Tom Cruise. And you got to understand, those two guys were the biggest stars in the world. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and uh, I think um, Speed was just out, and it was the number one movie. And then right before that, um, the, the arm, the, uh, yeah, but for Tom Cruise, uh, it was, um, Few Good Men. oh, God. No, it was way before that, um, where Top he was gun. in the uh, Top Gun. Top Gun. Oh, God. Was and that movie was So you got to understand. It was unbelievable. It was the biggest. Those two movies, they were they made like a billion dollars in one week. Or <laughs> and it was like, so now they were reading with me. So I was, you know, they were, and, but the studio Fox said, wait a minute, what's a Silk Cozart? <laughs> you know, we don't know who he is. We're not going to put $30 million in a no name. And Ron said, yeah, but he's my guy. He's, he could play at the level. I don't have to do tricks with him. He can dunk. He can shoot. He can play the game. He, and he's a really good actor. And I, that's who I want to go with. And Ron fought to the last second. They were going to pull the movie if oh, he wow. didn't use Wesley. Because, and I didn't know all this was going on. I was just reading when people, he would, I would come in and there's Tom Cruise, you know. And then, when, <laughs> but then when Woody, when Woody came in, oh my God, you, I threw down the script and we just, ad-libbed and we just went at it it was like we've known each other for years uh when keanu reeves came in i threw down the script and tried to ad-lib and he was like dude dude where where we at what are you doing i was like <laughs> i mean you know so and tom vibes. cruise would yeah it was a whole that tom cruise was one terrific actor but he goes uh can't really play ball that well <laughs> I mean, so, we after we read for the read the script or the scenes, we would go outside and just shoot around. And Ron would have us, you know, he had other players there to do a three on three, four on four, or, or just a layup line. Well, you could tell if people can play in a layup line. So 
that was a very quick thing. And so he went to Chicago to meet with John Cusack so he could use me. He was use, trying to get all the white leads he could so Fox would use me. And that's who that's how much Ron wanted me in the movie. And then I mean, I didn't have a name at all. Nobody knew who I was. <laughs> and <laughs> but Ron, but nobody knew who Kevin Costner was when Ron put him in, in uh, Bull Durham and he fought for him. And he goes, he hits to all sides and he's got a better stroke than the guys that are playing. He just doesn't look athletic, you know, <laughs> but but with white men can't jump. Ron, and so finally he went to Chicago, met with John Cusack. He, John Cusack, obviously, he could open the movie. I think Say Anything was get, was out and it came out. And then he took him to the basketball court and uh, <laughs> just couldn't play at the level. You know, they need to you, can, you can't fake certain things in basketball, you know. And if you notice uh, with a lot of close up shots, a lot of slow motion shots, it takes it takes away the actual uh, real time action. Any mistakes you might make. So I actually worked with Wesley when he got when they told me that they were going to he had to that they had to give it to him. Dolores Robinson was his manager. Great, great, great manager. She managed Sinbad and Harry Hamlin. She managed a lot of big, big actors. And she said, if, um, if you got to use my client. He's, uh, you know, I love Silk, but Wesley's got a movie called New Jack City. It just came out. So I went to New Jack City. It was playing in Pasadena in one theater. And we went there. This was while I was up for the lead, right? And I, the, one of the scenes in the movie is a basketball scene. And Wesley is playing. Of course, you know, you're an athlete. You can watch somebody, the way they move, the way they catch the ball, the way they throw the ball, the way they just walk on the basketball court. You can tell kind of the level. And I went, oh. This is mine. This is my <laughs> moment. You know, and, and, Denzel, and Denzel Washington was calling me saying, it's yours, baby. It's yours. It's yours. You got it. You got it. You know, you got it. You know, ain't nobody going to get it but you. I'm like, and then Ron comes back and he goes, I got to give the role to, to Wesley. And I went, which role? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he, he said for Sydney, and he, and he said he told me why. And uh, Wesley was awful uh, good about it. Uh, he was very kind and we became friends and I helped him showing him how to handle the ball, how to get low dribbling it, how to, you know, release and, and things, just little things. Cause I wanted him to look the best he could possibly look. And Ron yeah, Shelton told me, he, yeah, he said, he saw me working with him and stuff every day. We, we had to, we, we had a camp for four weeks before we saw a camera. We were doing plays just to get Wesley and Woody ready. And Woody is a good basketball player. He's not the quickest person in the world, but he knows he knows the game, and he he, he knows the game. He knows what he can do and cannot do. Uh, so, but he's so competitive. I mean, we were shooting, you know, in between scenes, we were betting hundred dollars on each shot whether he was gonna make a foul shot or a, a trick shot. He must have spent thirty thousand dollars just on on the movie on betting stuff. A hundred dollars. So. Yeah, that that was that was a tough one because uh, I Ron knew that that was my film and uh, he knew what that would mean to my career. Uh, but Fox had a deal with uh, with Wesley, and it was like, hey, let's put him here. And that's not taking away anything from Wesley. Uh, I'm just saying that's the way it is. And Wes knew that, and he he took me to lunch, and uh, he said, um, look, I'm not gonna. He said, I appreciate. Well, 
We lose the uh, silk. Not silk day. Wesley probably cut him off. Right? God damn, Wesley. <laughs> see if we can get him back. All right, let's see. Hmm. There's nothing I can do on my end. Hopefully he signs back. No, in. yeah, he's just got to sign back in. Yeah, I, it, it honestly looks like his phone probably died or computer, whatever he was using. Well, if you're still watching, there he oh, goes. There he is. Yeah. We thought Wesley got you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what an interview so far, though, guys. I mean, to be able to like listen to everything we've gotten a chance to talk about, his early life, you know, his directing portions, his the fact that, you know, he's acted in some of our favorite movies. It's been such a blast so far that, I mean, I, I hope we get to get some more of Silk, but everything we've been able to talk about so far has been a blast. Well, I'm excited right now, and, and I'm not going to lie that uh, I'm actually kind of toying with the idea because this has gone a little while. And we still have another page of questions here of kind of cutting this into two parts and doing a part one it's and part two. Well, 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 yeah, well, I'm saying he'll come back on, but we'll yeah. do a part one and a part two um, upload wise, and then we'll just take Monday off. Like Monday will just be part two and we'll have an extra day off. You know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, because we've still got probably another page and a half of questions here. And honestly, I could ask him more because there are some follow-ups I want to ask him about some of the stories he said. So, I, I mean, I'd love to get to keep this going. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Uh, sorry about. <laughs> hey, it happens, man. It's technology, oh, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. you got the gist of it, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesse. absolutely. Uh, so, I wanted to, uh, you know, touch base on that movie uh, again, you know, and a little bit further. I know. Uh, probably about 10 episodes ago for our podcast, we did a movie draft, a sports movie draft, and White Man Can't Jump was absolutely drafted because it's one of our our favorite movies. Oh, just to be clear, it was my first round pick. Just so, <laughs> just so we're clear here, it was my first overall pick. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, okay. <laughs> so baby, I had to go remember the Titans, number one. I had to go, yeah, remember, I had yeah. to go with Denzel. It's a good one. It's a good uh, one. But, uh, you know, speaking specifically about this movie and how much we love it and our fans love it, when it was being made, did you know that it was going to be what it ended up being? I mean, it, it has such a such a, a cult following. I mean, it, it is amazing. Um, I mean, Wayne's got it in his top two. Sully's got it in his top two. Uh, did you think it was going to be what it ended up becoming? No, none of us did. And if somebody's saying they did, they're lying. Uh, we, knew, we knew it was special. We knew we were having a great time, and we knew – that a lot of people would see it. But when we finished and it was ready to go, the Rodney King uh, thing happened. And it became, the, that was the biggest thing story in the world at that point or in America. So we yeah. had to wait months before we could release the movie. Cause you know, we were on lockdown. City was on lockdown. You had, you had tanks in on the streets. Uh, you had a curfew, six o'clock you had to be, I mean, for, for weeks and weeks. And you know how frustrating that was knowing you had this beautiful movie in the can, but you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, nobody could see it. Yeah, you know? Just, just sitting on it because of circumstances outside yeah. of all your control. We knew it was special though. We knew it was really special, but we had no idea that it would be one of the 10 movies launched in the space shuttle up there, you know, uh, along with grapes of wrath and, um, the Godfather. So, I mean, uh, just to be a part of that movie, um, it just makes you feel like you 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 left something here for your family to to talk about or to 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 see and to say, wow, 
great 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 granddaddy was in white man can't jump. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, and and that movie today, um, I think what well you know tickets were not they didn't cost but five dollars then I think now they're twelve uh, average so the movie would have probably you know made like a billion dollars uh, compared to what you know uh, the money it made then so. Oh, far as you know, sure. inflation. Far as oh, of course. Dollars. I mean, that, that, um, it it was incredible. But it was all because of Ron Shelton, right? Ron Shelton. <laughs> um, I sent Ron a. Uh, I'm getting ready to to launch something. I don't know if you guys know about it. I'm launching a new silk whiskey <laughs> and a uh, Country Roads beer company Ooh. with Rick with Rick Clark, who's a ex. Uh, he he owned NAS a NASCAR team with uh, Brad Daughtery a few years ago. He and Brad okay. Daughtery owned. A NASCAR team. He was the first black NASCAR owner, actually, called No Fear. Um, really cool guy, smart, and he's my business partner. He came up with uh, me and him are doing the uh, whiskey and the bourbon and wine. So we're getting ready to launch a whole brand that's going to be cool. I love me some whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you guys some. I'm- I was going to say, you, you got to send this know. stuff, man. Oh, we'll, we'll be all there. I'll, I'll have the bottles, the, the drink bottles right yeah, here. The, <laughs> the, the empty bottles because they won't be full for long, brother. I have, one in, I have one right over here. But you'll really like the Country Roads. Country Roads, nice. it's, yeah, it's really it's a clean, clean beer. It's really oh, absolutely. nice. It's awesome. Yeah, my next question, sticking with uh, White Man Can't Jump, but I'm touching on your um, your, your music because you're also a singer, <laughs> right? And, and you uh, write music. And there's a scene in White Man Can't Jump, right, where they're riding in the car, they're bringing Sydney back home, and they're arguing about whether or not Billy can hear Jimi Hendrix, right? <laughs> Great scene. <laughs> and uh, Billy gets you know pissed off, and he plays the song, He Stopped Loving Her Today. And he refers to George Jones as the, the greatest, greatest troubadour, troubadour of all time. Now, you grew up in Tennessee, blues and country. What do you think about uh, Billy's take that George Jones is the best troubadour of all time? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, there's a lot of great troubadours I thought better than George, but not a lot. But what I thought was, was more impressive, that it was so subtle that I don't think anybody's heard it. Uh, Wesley goes... Man, it's saying sound like a lab a dog. He thought he heard Labrador, <laughs> and it was so subtle. He goes, man, that's, that's a dog, man. You know, Woody goes, you know. So uh, I think it was Woody is a very smart, very intelligent actor, uh, and you know he could take a line and make it like he just thought of it, and that was one of those. And I mean, I just think that he his choices are so spot on. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just a big Woody Harrelson fan. I think it's nothing he can't do, you know? Uh, Preach. <laughs> still, killing it, still killing it he's, in Zombieland. <laughs> oh, I went to the, the uh, premiere with him and his family, and he actually was a little um, uh, insecure about the opening. And I was like, what are you nervous about? You're Woody Harrelson. What are you talking about? He goes, no, man. He says uh, he, he had to get... Um, uh, another actor, he got Bill Murray because the studio said, uh, we'll give you a bigger release if you get another name <laughs> with you. So he he gets in touch with Bill Murray while I'm at his house. This is while they were filming. I'm at his house. He call, he gets Bill Murray. Bill Murray didn't have a phone. He got on a on a computer. 
and sent the sent it. He was on some island. He doesn't use a phone or something. And he <laughs> Bill Murray he doesn't need one. He, not at, <laughs> not at that chassis. time. He might he yeah. might now, but not no, then. I'm he gonna guess like, he doesn't. I, I was right there, and I, he was like, "When and where?" And next thing you know, Bill Murray's attached to the thing. They got a a big distribution deal. Um, and I, I mean, I saw how that because Woody was like, "I don't know. I don't." You know, I hope they laugh in the right places. What if they don't? I'm like, bro, you ain't got nothing to worry about. He was actually <laughs> nervous. And I was like, you're making me nervous and you're the big star, you know. And it, uh, but it, it was a hit and uh, it, it, it just made everybody involved in that movie better That's and bigger. Great. It was a great movie. <laughs> All right. Well, I think you already asked your question about Wesley, right? So I, think gonna, I got a different one, though, if it's okay. okay. Oh. Now I have a enormous crush on Rosie Perez. Uh, get in, get in line. Yeah. <laughs> what What was it like to work with her? I mean, for one, she's just so she's hilarious and, and she's gorgeous and you know she's all these things. And so I assume she's such like a, a an extremely wonderful woman to be around. And just talk to me about Rosie Perez. That's all I want to know. First of all, <laughs> she's gorgeous. She is uh, very intelligent. She's so funny, naturally funny. Yeah, I agree, naturally funny. Oh, and just the life, you know. I mean, that voice, uh, Ron was telling me they had to take down like three notches of her voice because it was so (laughs) shrill. (laughs) You know, I mean, wow. But um, you don't, I mean, she's at the top of the line because she could do so many things, you know, not just being bilingual, but just... She's she's a one of a terrific director. I don't know if you know she's been directing some things, um, but she just is a great person to work with. She makes everybody around her better, you know, and she has zero fear, zero in a male dominated, uh, you know, uh, industry. Uh, in the audition, it was all, you know, white girls, mm-hmm. you know, and she walks in and everybody was like and it was some big names, big names there. And uh, they were kind of laughing, like, what are you here for, the maid role? Oh, there's no maid role. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, you know, they were saying stuff yeah. like that. And um, she just went in and did her thing. And Ron just fell in love with her like everybody else does. And um, it. I just I just asked see, I just asked Ron, I said, I just want to be on the set, uh, you know what day. Pretty sure yeah. my 13 my year old self was loving that. Yeah. Oh my God. And Pause, you know, rewind, play. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, uh, Woody and, and Rosie are such terrific actors. Like when he threw the water on her, you know, they're yeah. dead. Throws it on her face. She, she did, he didn't tell her he was going to do that. He didn't tell her she was gonna, that he was going to do that. That's I mean, you incredible. know, that could have that been uh, real bad. Uh, a really bad situation. <laughs> That's she, good chemistry you look for at, sure. You look at her response. It's like, oh, 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 yeah. okay. That means she was going to get him at another time. Yeah. She, she had to go with that because it wouldn't have worked if she'd have done it any other way kind of thing. Yeah. But, but to give you an idea how great Wesley Snipes is, when we were doing the scene in Watts where they were – the guy was going to hold the money and I, and and he grabbed it from me and I grabbed him by the neck right in front of Wesley. And I was saying, man, don't grab my money. What's wrong with you? Uh, 
when he grabbed it, I went to to get him to grab him by the neck, and one and the bill, one of the the hundred dollar bill or whatever it was, grazed Wesley's eyeball, cut his eyeball. Okay, Wesley, and you look at the scene again. This is so cool. He goes like this, and he keeps the scene going. He goes, man, come on, man. Well, don't worry, but the bakery ain't open with you. Ain't open yet. Come on, let's go. He just kept it going. Now, I, didn't, I didn't know I, I hit him. I didn't know I grazed him. So after the, you know, Wesley's sitting there doing this, and and he goes, uh, uh, you know, before we do it again, and it was like, uh, I said, what happened? He goes, you got me, Kozar. You got me. <laughs> I was like, what I do? He goes, and I didn't realize I did it, but he kept going. It didn't even, I mean, and that was the take that they used for the movie. And it was so real. And I felt so bad, you know. It's like Julie Roberts really hit me in the head in conspiracy theory when she, I was out for about maybe two seconds. Really? She actually, she really knocked me out. Holy shit. And I thought, I I was out and I thought, I can't be out. Am I out? Yes, I'm out now. I'm up. And I'm like, I was out. You know, and, uh, and, she, and then I, I tried to joke. I tried to play it off, right? So as I'm getting up, I'm like, oh, you know, I say the line, and 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 believe me, it came out real. And so <laughs> afterwards, I kept holding my back of my head, and I and Julie goes, did I did I? She goes, I'm left-handed, and I don't know how to pull the punch. And I said, well, yeah, you got me, honey. You got me. On that <laughs> I said, I said, now you I have a headache. She goes, she goes, oh no, I'm so so. Most of the day after that, I was walking around with a big old ice pack, bigger than my head, like right on. And I would see her and she would go, oh, I'm so sorry, Silk. I said, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. You know what I mean? So, oh my God, it, it, it didn't hurt that bad, but I wanted to, you know, make her make yeah. her feel that. So she would give me a, a, a makeup kiss or something, you know. <laughs> you know, guys, we try to put, she was single then hey yo oh, and, fo- and a fox too yeah. oh she's the epitome of a fox right now and she's so kind oh. she's such a great actress you know what she did she literally changed the scene that scene in the hallway of supposed to be the cia where she does knock me out where she goes who's the deputy director of the fbi well that was we did a rehearsal where over my shoulder, over her shoulder, camera over mine, over hers. And when Dick Donner came up and says, "Okay, let's let's rehearse this," Julia said, "Hey, hey, Dick, why don't could we do something like this? Like if Silk was in front of me and I was behind him, and the camera is in front of him, and we could be on camera at the same time." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn!" <laughs> can you tell the director that? And <laughs> Julia Roberts, you know, and then the he, good ones can. Dick Donner, yeah, right. Dick Donner said, he goes, he calls everybody kid, right? Because he was like 75 then. He goes, I like that kid. All right, all right, reset. He reset the whole scene. They just used one camera. And he he, folk, he, he blurred my my uh, face out and made her prominent. And rack, it's called rack focus. And then you blur her out. And then I become prominent when I'm talking. And it became wow. one of the one of the coolest scenes in the film. You know, and I was like, she, and she saved the money and time because just use one camera, do the whole scene with her in the behind, and just out focus, refocus. But and I was like, I'm using that, 
And as a director, <laughs> and as a director, I'll do some scenes like that, and I'll go, "Oh, let me see, let's try something here." <laughs> you know, so you learn every in every movie. I've learned something from everybody, everybody. I know for a fact that we're gonna take some of these nuggets that you're sharing with us, and it's gonna force us to rewatch these movies, like White, White Men Can't Jump, and especially you know, when Wesley gets cut. I'm oh yeah, I'm, I have oh, to you watch that. Now. Oh, that, that's a reason for me to rewatch it, amongst other reasons. But I uh, know another <laughs> another great movie you did, and you know you gave us some great insight before. You know when you said you know you felt like other people were pigeonholing you in those athletic roles. Well, in Blue Chips, you're in a basketball movie. But you weren't a basketball player. Was this was this a nice evolution for you to be able to get into a, a role that was still basketball centric, but not where you were specifically a basketball player? Well, you know, as a ball player, you only think about being a ball player in the movie. You know, I'm thinking, oh, man. But uh, the director said pretty he was very pointed when he said, I don't want to use anybody from White Man Can't Jump. He wanted to use all new people. He want, And, you know, of course, he was Academy Award winning director. So I didn't think I was going to have a chance. And I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to play ball, but I could do something else, you know. I just wanted to be in the movie, you know. And with Shaq, I mean, Shaq's first movie, you know, and with, with you know, with Nick Nolte, you know. So we get, we get to a scene where um, I'm supposed to jump off the boat to, to bring Nick Nolte to meet Shaq. We're in New Orleans, right? And it's 150 degrees, right? And we're on a trip <laughs> boat in, in Louisiana. And so I'm supposed to jump off right at the end, right before it gets to the shore and go on in because I'm getting wet. I'm already wet. So we the boat goes up there and I look down there and I don't swim, okay? I'm not a swimmer. I can swim, but I don't like it. I don't like water. You can't see what's in there, especially. Yeah. So he goes, okay, Silk, just jump off. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't jumping in there. He goes, nah. what? And he, and it's Billy freaking, you know, he, he directed the exorcist and the French connection and 12 angry men. I mean, he's like one of the greatest directors in the world. And, and he's, he was married to Sherry Lansing. Who's she was the chairman of Paramount who was doing <laughs> the movie. So I'm sitting there talking to this great director and I'm telling him, I'm not going to jump off the boat. I literally said, no. And he's got a reputation for uh, slapping actors <laughs> or hitting people, right? And I knew that. And I'm thinking, if this man comes up to me, I'm, I'm fired, I guess, because I'm going to knock him out before he hits me. I'm thinking, I'm going to hit him before he gets me. I'm going back to L.A., I guess. So I'm thinking all these crazy thoughts, right? And I didn't know. It's like rumors. You don't, you know, you hear stuff. So he walks up to me, comes up to me, gets on the boat, and he goes, what's the problem? And I'm like, oh God, he's gonna slap me, you know? <laughs> How am I gonna? Am I gonna block it? Am I gonna duck? Am I gonna grab him and hit him over here? No. So I thought, I know he's not. He's not gonna hit me. He's not gonna hit me. So he goes, you're not gonna jump off the boat. I said, will somebody get one of those poles and stick it down there and see how deep it is, and I'll I'll do it. So he goes, he gets the stick. He pokes it down, and it keeps going and going. Yeah, I was like, look at that! Look at that! <laughs> And then Nick Nolte nope. goes, well, hell, if Silk ain't going, I damn sure ain't going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's and, and awesome. I'm one of those guys who, again, as a big movie buff, whether it's sports or not, you know, I tend to find joy in the, the scenes that most people don't remember, right? And so <laughs> I, 
So I, my favorite scene of Blue Chips, and I, I love the movie, but my favorite scene, I think, is how pissed Nick sounds when he's like, this guy better pan out. You're never coming to any more games at Western. <laughs> yes. That's, that's yes. my favorite. Oh, really? When we're, when, we're, when we're running down the bayou and across there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, again, and are you working with Academy Award-winning director who gives you that freedom you know, he gave us that freedom to, to, to do that, which is good. Now, my uh, so my favorite actor, again, because I like obscure movies, I like obscure actors in a way. We talked about Bernard King. He's, in a oh. way, an obscure basketball player because people just don't know how good he was. As a movie fan and being able to appreciate each role in itself, I love J.T. Walsh. I think that he oh. is such a phenomenal right. actor. Absolutely. And you didn't really have any scenes with him in the movie, but I was curious if you got to interact with him at all. I did. Uh, in fact, uh, I got to talk with him before we started filming and just what a, you're right. What a terrific actor. And, you know, he's not with us, uh, but man, what a great actor. You really believed him, you know, when he said friends of the program yeah. and he goes, and Nick Nolte, I hate friends of the program, you know, <laughs> and the fact that Nick Nolte stayed, uh, he, he was with Bobby Knight for a few days, hung with him you know, before we filmed and he didn't want to be like Bobby Knight. He wanted to have an edge that a coach of that nature would have. And I was like, well, I thought he did. I thought Nick Nolte did a great, great job of, uh, as a coach, as a, as a basketball coach. And, and then you, and then, you know, who was shooting left-handed foul shots with him? Yeah. You Bob Cousy. Huh? That's right, man. He shot, I watched this man shoot 30 foul shots in a row. In, in his in a suit in a suit and he was like 90 years old then or whatever i'm like wow but you know the best part of blue chips was in between scenes and the days that we didn't have to film you're playing ball with bobby hurley shaquille o'neal uh uh penny hardaway uh you know rick fox all those guys matt nover you, you matt nover matt was a great player man i think he played end up playing in europe somewhere uh um, yeah, but he was like a knee he was him. yeah but he was bona fide six eight could play could shoot had a touch everything i mean that movie i mean i, I was uh, i was in heaven with that movie you know because i got to play ball in between and then throw on my my regular clothes and just be another character <laughs> you know <laughs> And we talked about, like I said, just so many roles in that movie. I mean, Lou Gossett Jr. in Chicago oh. is the, the school, you know, and then you had Ed O'Neill was the reporter. You know, I mean, just <laughs> I so many so many big role people that were just like in little roles in the movie. Well, look at Marcus Johnson in White Man Can't Jump. I, because Marcus and I were friends, we played together. I told him, I said, oh, man, there's something. There's something coming down the pipe, man. I think you're right for it. And he goes, really? So I called, I called Ron Shelton the day that I was going in to audition. And I said, uh, I'm uh, not Ron. I called the casting director, uh, Vicky Thomas. Couldn't get, couldn't get in touch with her. So I just told, I told, um, I told him, I said, just Marcus, meet me here, and we'll go in together to the audition. He goes, okay. You know, I hadn't told Ron or nobody. I just walk in, I do the audition, and I've worked with Marcus on his scene. You know, the when he puts on the mask and yeah. goes in, and uh, so I was do, helping him, and he was out in the car. My little, I had a little Suzuki Samurai, I had a little big car. And Marcus was in there like this. He looked like a camel in a car. And I said, uh, I went in an audition. And after my audition, 
Ron said, okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And that, the next day I was going in to meet with uh, uh, Tom Cruise. But as I was leaving, I said, oh, Ron, I said, um, I said, you know, uh, you know, the, the ball player, Marcus Johnson, he goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, uh, I think he'd be right for that role of Raymond. <laughs> and he goes, and I think about how naive I, I was then. I'm like, I'm telling Ron Shelton who's, <laughs> who's, he, who's right for his part. And he goes, oh, you do, do you? You think he's right? And he's like smiling. I said, yeah. And I said, he's out in the car. He goes, you got Marcus Johnson out in the car? I said, yeah. So I ran out. He said, well, tell him to come in. So I ran out. He went in, got the audition, nailed it, kicked it. And I was like, wow, that made me feel so good. And we've been friends. That's why I called him and he did a nice little part for me in the documentary. You know, uh, and he tells that story in the documentary, how we met. Cause it, nice. I tell him, him to talk about Ron Shelton. You know, I have him talking about Ron and I have Ron Shelton talking about the game of, of street ball and how important, you know, street ball was to the game, the development. Anyway, that's ball. No, no, I, I, and, and I love, yeah. And I loved uh, that role so much. I mean, I, I've seen white man can't jump probably a hundred times. It's one of my favorite basketball movies. And I, no matter how many times I see it, I am always going to laugh when he goes, no, 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 it's St. Raymond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's based off a true character, a real character. Really? I mean, a, a real guy. He was, I think, in Oklahoma. He was like, in the 70s. And it's, this story has been going around the NBA and around all over the country. There was a guy, I think they called him like, uh, they called him Moonshot or some kind of nickname, right? He was seven foot, the tallest guy in the whole state. All right. Everybody knew, you know, he's seven foot tall. I mean, seven footers are around, especially in the seven in the seventies. So he goes to a gas station and tries to rob, uh, I mean, a little a mini mart kind of thing. He tries to do it, does that. And the guy that was, that he tried to rob knew him. He goes, <laughs> moon, what are you doing? He goes, nah, this ain't me. This ain't me. <laughs> so, Got him. Rob, so that was, Perfect. And everybody thinks it was made up. No, that actually happened. That was a real, real character. <laughs> so anyway. Now, obviously, we love blue chips. I mean, uh, I think all three of us do. And obviously, you know, and, and everyone around. What was it like working with Shaq? And did you worry kind of when you were doing the movie that like people were just going to come see it because of the NBA celebrities in it? Is that even a worry? Do you care about that? Or you just want people to come watch the movie in general? I just want, yeah, we just wanted people to come and watch it. And I thought, when you do a basketball movie, I feel like people, people, guys and girls that are basketball fans are going to see a, a movie about basketball, no matter what, who's in it. It's a basketball movie. I want to see it. I want it. Just name of the movie, basketball. I'm going to go see it. I don't yeah. care who's in it. So I thought the, the candy or the dessert was having Shaq, you know, uh, one of the most dominant centers in the league. Uh, or going to be, and you thought was, and you know, he hadn't signed, he wasn't signed with the Lakers. He was signed with Orlando at that time. So Reebok was really, you know, paying him, you know, and, and them and Paramount. So I learned a lot about that, about how the, that works, you know, and two companies, how they, you know, they, you know, they can do a lot of things, but oh, yeah. yeah, that was, that was special because of the ball players and the, the type of players in that, in one movie. I think that's very appealing to, to, to people. But to show how big bas big league basketball and big blue chippers work, that was they were right on the money. It's just a oh, lot yeah. of people didn't get caught, you know. Well, I mean, we see it now with the NCAA. The NCAA is 
probably the most hated entity on this show. <laughs> um, we have nothing good to say about them, and and it's it just that that was a precursor to the disaster we see now where kids are obviously still getting all kinds of money and you know when that movie came out nobody really thought it was happening and it's just rampant <laughs> all up and down college basketball college football too you know i've always been a fan of they should give the players should get some kind of money Pay them. uh yeah. at least have it when when they graduate there's a there's a nice little check whether it's Stipend twenty thousand fifty thousand something to get them started because everybody ain't playing the league you yeah. know and you get hurt what are you doing you've made this this university millions of dollars and you Billion. watch you got to watch these 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 kids wear your your hat and jerseys and your number making money and you don't make a dime off of it and your coaches can get 10 million dollar contracts there's something really messed up about that Yep, you know, absolutely. So yeah. uh, I think, and I addressed that in Ball of Confusion, by the way. And, oh, uh, awesome. Good. I asked uh, uh, um, Oscar Robinson, the big O, he's my business partner in the movie. Oh, I wow. Mean, for the movie, he's, yeah, he's uh, he's a big part of this film. And I, I started off interviewing with him. And uh, I mean, he it's said some double. things that, yeah, he averaged a triple-double, man. Mm-hmm. He averaged a triple-double. And he was a the, one of the first big guards, 6'5 oh, guard. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's they, they should put something together for these players. And I don't know the last time, you know, when they say a players get special attention and all that stuff. And uh, that's BS because we got to study when you guys are sleeping because we got practice at six o'clock in the morning. You know, we got to w- run wind sprints when you're snoring. And so when you're going, when you're going to a hundred thousand seat arena. I don't remember the last time a hundred thousand people gathered for a math class. so uh, don't get it twisted you know uh and then you know now what are you what are you gonna miss you're gonna miss those football games the basketball games aren't you you got you got that's a big revenue that's gone and university of tennessee just came out today about the schedule but yeah buddy go SEC football baby (laughs) yeah you got a gator here he's jesse's a bama fan roll tide baby and then we got you with the balls man we got the sec Raps right here, but you know what? Uh, my business partner Rick uh, Rick Clark, who's in Charlotte, who was the agent, and we have you know uh, uh, Country Roads and, and Silquisi together. He is a consultant and has been consulting Dabo Sweeney for for oh, years, wow. and so that's how I met Coach Sweeney. I that's went up there, really- we got pictures together. He's what a great human being. I didn't realize his story. You know, he was homeless when he was young. And so uh, here's somebody that came from nothing. And those players will do anything for him out of love, not out of fear. And I watched him. We went to practice. And you don't really get in those practices. And he come running off the field. And he comes up, white man can jump. And I could shoot too, he says. So we, we're going to do a charity pretty soon. And I'll let you guys know. Uh, yeah. We're going to do a shootout, you know, uh, like a three-point shootout. He doesn't really know that I really can shoot. <laughs> and, uh, which is it's gonna be funny, and and uh, and like you know we'll have sponsors to put up each each time you make a bucket, thousand dollars, five thousand, whatever it is, for whatever charity you know his charity there um, at, at Clemson. Uh, but now this you know I call it the, the pandemic happened, so we can't uh, we can't really <laughs> pandemic. Damn uh, I like uh, that. We got everybody has to kind of we're on hold. But uh, he's a he's an unbelievable. I mean, that's the other orange. But I just love this man. And the way he disciplines his players is not traditional. 
like he'll tell you a story about, uh, you know, taking a, a player fishing, you know, instead, instead of making him run steps. It doesn't even say anything. He's sitting there with, with a fishing pole, not saying anything, like six in the morning, picks him up and goes <laughs> to the lake. And, and then that player's like, you know, crying and saying, Coach, I'm so sorry I didn't mean I will do anything. What do you want me to do? And he goes, I just want you to be ready to play it uh, Saturday. You know, that player will never mess up again. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's like, you know, the, the the strongest thing you can do sometimes is just to look at a player and, and give them that look, and, and they that's all you need. Some players yep. you need to hit on the butt and go, what's wrong with you? Some you just give them that look, and you got to know the difference. And he is such – he said, if a player hadn't gone through some things like I've gone through, then they could play football and deal with practice and everything we got to do here. So I, I expect the ultimate out of everybody. So they will run through a wall for that man gladly. So oh, he's he's a powerful force. He really and a funny, funny guy. He's hilarious, man. He's going naturally, to, naturally funny. Going back to a powerful force that we just talked about, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, oh. I, I I want to talk about you know his his basketball in that movie Blue Chips. You know, did you see any similarities uh, between him being kind of pigeonholed into a basketball movie and when you were as well? You know, because, you know, he really could only kind of fit that style. I mean, I don't think you're going to see Shaq doing any other type of movie, whereas you were able to evolve yourself into other types of roles. Shaq was really just that big athletic freak at that point. Now he does some funny stuff for TNT. But did you see him doing anything back then? Did you try and talk to him about any of that? Yeah, we talked about it. And, and he said, uh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I said, but you got to look at how they look at you. Uh, you know, you're going to be looked at as a ball player, no matter what. And I said, if, if anything, my, he asked me what I thought. I said, ride it to the wheels fall off. That he did. You know? <laughs> and he did. And the wheels ain't falling off yet. He's still, I mean, well, they fell off a little with Shazam. Uh, yeah, Uncle Drew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say anything. But, uh, I'll say it for you. Know, you. I'll say it for you. you. Know, no, I he's fantastic. Kyrie. I love Shaq, and I love, I love Kyrie Irving. Right, I love him. What a great player. Uh, and and I wish I could have worked with him as an actor <laughs> because I would have told him you ain't you ain't gotta. I mean, you could have done that uh, without doing all that. You know, I would have had him play his real game, but I don't believe you when you're still crossing over as a 80, a 70 year old, you can still cross over and beat them, but not as a 30 year old, you're playing a 30 year old <laughs> in a, in a disguise. And I wanted, I wanted to play, he could play an old man and still, you know, body him up and fade away and do those kind of shots instead of <laughs> dunking backwards and all oh, that shit, you know, I'm like, golly, they made it a cartoon. <laughs> no, but um, no, it was, I thought it was a, a good storyline. But yeah, Shaq. Some players, that's all they're going to be able to really play. I mean, steal. I mean, you can play a superhero. Uh, but you know, I, I got to play with the Giant and Reggie's Prayer. You know, Reggie White uh, yep. and, and uh, Pat Morita, and 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 of course uh, Paul White, the Giant. He was, yep. I think, twenty three at the time. He was seven three four hundred ninety pounds then. Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul White, we're talking about the big show, right? Yeah. Big show. He said, yeah. he said, um, he said, you know, they laughed at me when I was in high school because I had to, I couldn't wear my shoes kept, I kept growing out of my shoes and there were holes in them and toes were sticking out and stuff. And he said, so he would walk to school. He wouldn't take the bus. I'm like, why? And I said, and we were playing basketball in between the scenes, right? He was 
dribbling the ball behind his back and throwing no look passes and hailing the fast break. And I was like, are you serious? Wow. I, said, I said, does the NBA know about you? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, are you, I'm not, I know you're going to wrestle, but man, you're, I've never seen a seven footer play handle the ball like that. He said, yeah, I can do it for about 30 seconds. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, he, he went like this to his chest. Uh, he said, heart i i can't get insured because i could die um, oh, wow. my heart he said, i can't do something over but a few seconds and then i have to rest in a few seconds and i have to rest so you watch his wrestling uh they do it in spurts you know it's oh, not yeah. a consistent so with him there's definitely a rest period in into those bangs and falls and things so i mean that's what I love about my career. I get to meet people like that in all walks of life. Yeah, all to, kinds of different people. You know, speaking of those two giants, they actually had a wrestling match, or at least a storyline for a wrestling match. You know, you know, Paul, really? big show, big show, and Shaq. Yeah, I mean, they they ended up having oh, a bit that, of a storyline oh, back right. in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our mayor, the Knox County, Knoxville County mayor, Kane, you know, Kane, uh, baby, Kane, baby, Glenn, Glenn Jacobs. Hey, and and he's probably the smartest guy in the room. Unbelievably intelligent. And just don't make him uh, don't be, don't make him put that mask on. <laughs> oh man, hey, you wouldn't want to tussle with him, man. You know he's like no. six eleven, about it's you know what three hundred three hundred something, but he's he's sharp. The demon Kane. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed him for my movie, so he's in. The oh film. man, one of my yeah. favorite wrestlers of all time. I'm a big wrestling fan, so Kane's one of my favorites of all time. I can't believe he's our mayor. You know, but- oh, <laughs> the mayor. Honestly, I almost brought him up. You, you were talking about Knoxville, and I was like, you know, the mayor of Knox County. <laughs> yeah, I almost called him Kane one time when I met with him. I said, uh, 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 um, "Mayor, Mayor <laughs> Kane, Mayor Kane." You know, I'm like he would have kicked me out of the office probably. But uh, yeah, oh, big great. old boot. This, I love this city. This is a great city. This this really is a great city. I had uh, so we got uh, about six more questions for you. I really appreciate you sticking okay. around with us for so long because it's been absolutely. Amazing. Um, my next one, you actually, guys are great. Uh, three to tango. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you play uh, Kevin Cartwright. Right? That was a, a curveball. Sports movie. Yeah. That was a football. Yeah, movie. AKA the Ponderosa. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Always open, baby. Right. So my, my question about this movie, so I actually thought that this was actually a, a phenomenal movie in the sense that this came out in 1999, and the way that they portrayed gay characters in the movie was not cartoonish, and it was not flamboyant. Every gay character in the movie was a very just normal uh, Oliver exactly. Platt, uh, John C. McGinley at the end of the movie, which surprised people, but it was like – I know. Sh- it, it really portrayed – I feel like it did a wonderful job for 90 minutes just saying, listen – being gay is normal. All of these people are normal, and yet exactly. they're homosexuals. And I, and I thought it was such a wonderful message that maybe got overlooked because it's a comedy, but maybe got overlooked. But I thought that was such a wonderful message. And you know what? I absolutely agree. And you know who was a big part of making that a reality is Cher's uh, daughter at the time, before the transit, uh, the transition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was on the set to make sure that nobody was doing any, or saying anything stupid or doing anything stupid i mean but it went smooth the the, uh it was just such a phenomenal movie and and i gotta tell you matthew perry was going through a lot at that time during that time that was a very very difficult time personally for him 
but we knew something was going on, but we didn't know what it was. But this this guy is such a pro, you would never know it. And he he was just so wonderful to work with, and 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 um, just uh, I can't say enough about him. He's just and and we we've, we've stayed in touch over the years, and just a phenomenal guy. And then when you learn that he has gone through all that stuff, you're like, wow, how do you keep going? How did you do that? You know, and Nev Campbell, we became friends. I actually got to introduce Woody to Nev. You know, I thought all stars knew each other, but, you know, they don't. You know, you, think, you might see each other, but uh, no. That's yeah, awesome. That movie, I, was, I thought, I thought um, you know, people are going to judge me. I'm playing, um, you know, a professional football player that's gay. And I thought, you know, when I, when I met with Warner Brothers about it, I said, you know, when a long time ago, I said, I don't want to play a gay character because somebody's going to think I'm gay and I'm not gay. And I wasn't doing it. I wasn't not doing it because I think there's anything wrong with that. I thought, but I'm not going to get hired to play a straight guy anymore or something, you know. And then the casting director said, uh, do you want to be an actor or not? And I thought, I want to be an actor. And and I said, I'll, I want to, I'll play the role, but I do not think he has to be stereotypical like right. you know and, and it is a comedy so in a comedy you can get away with things uh, that you can't in, in a drama so i didn't want him to go i didn't want the character to be like stereotypical like where they make fun of gays like oh girl you know that kind of stuff yeah. you know it's 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 overdone i said i said that that's not realistic i said so the director's his name is damon I said, he says so well how how would you play this character i said in the same way i would if it was about a girl. Love is yeah. love. If you're in love with somebody, you're in love with somebody. You can't help who you're in love with or who you, who you like, who your interests are. If you like, uh, you know, if you like uh, uh, green beans and somebody hates green beans. So you hate them because they hate green beans? Oh, their, ta <laughs> their taste buds don't like it no matter what you do, you know? So, you know, and it, and it taught me a lesson that you should be able to work with, with anybody because nobody should be judging anybody. You should be happy that people are well happy enough and have a brain enough to to continue doing their passion at work that's what you should worry about but anyway i know you had a uh i wasn't sure if that answered the question or not no, yeah, perfect. Yeah, oh, that definitely it just, does it did and then you stole part of Sully's. yeah then you stole, <laughs> oh, no. i was gonna ask well no no you're funny because i was gonna no, ask no, no, like, no. I, I, we it's, want it's you to do this ability. it's, it's amazing really is. you're like you're your sixth sense on leading us into our next questions is honestly <laughs> insane, dude. Uh, so obviously, the question we was gonna, I was going to ask is like, what do you think about getting this role, and like, what was your thought process going into it? And then was, oh great, I'm just going to play another athlete. But clearly, you know, you had a whole different kind of thought process going into this, and 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 it's amazing to hear, and that's it's incredible. Thank you. I was actually uh, not going to do it because of the old way of thinking old oh, people would tell you you know other actors would say man I'm, why you want to play a gay why don't they just get a gay actor a gay guy. i'm like you say you know how stupid you sound right now you know i'm like that and then i thought wow here's a, an incredible opportunity to show that love is love people are people regardless you know regardless. and you know that it you, you if you you have an opportunity here in a cinematically speaking that a lot of people came up to me after that and said thank you 
I would be in an airport and I had many, many people at all, t- all the time. I mean, just the other day. Uh, I mean, years later, that's the thing about movies. You do a good movie. It's always a good movie, you know, and people. Yeah. And I couldn't believe the people that would would talk to me. You know, a a lot of gay people were coming to me and said, thank you for not making uh, that a cartoon character or stereotypical negativity. And you were so believable and all this. And I mean, just, you know, that, that was like the best compliment you can get, you know. So whether the people that didn't know me that seen that's the only movie they've ever seen and that's they think I'm a, I'm gay I don't care <laughs> I did a, I think a, it was a fun role and I think uh, that everybody was really good in it yeah you know and it said a lot especially at that time now Silk during that movie you know the guys are sitting around they're watching Kevin play football on the TV are they watching <laughs> you are, are they watching you Silk are you in those football pads or is that somebody else yeah no I was I. I at first, they said you don't have to do the football stuff. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? You better Former get me State, uh, yeah. fitted for the for the pads right now." <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted it, so I'd get on the field, and you know, of course, they had actually were in football uniform that were not. You could tell the way they were walking around the field. You know, they were not football players, but they were they were there. And I said, "I gotta." I got to let me run and score a touchdown or something, you know? And, uh, yeah, boy. and unfortunately they chose. And then they had a guy that ran that, that was my size and he was my, you know, stunt double. And it showed him getting tackled. I was like, I would have never gotten tackled like that. Yeah. I was like, why do you slow down? You know? <laughs> anyway. But uh, that was the only part I, I was like, oh, man, I, it should have showed me at least scoring or something. But, uh, oh, you know, the the yeah, the director wasn't really a, a football uh, uh, fan or, you know, never really played or. But so. Um, we kind of good, did good what, to know that you at least fought for the opportunities. But we felt that was good. Um, my question. I did, man. It's like in, in Eraser, I wanted to do my own stunt. I got to do it. I got to do my own stunning eraser, and they used that's it. That's awesome. Anyway, back to uh, your question. Oh, so, uh, so my question, I guess, was about Matthew Perry. I know you said that he was going through some stuff at that time, so maybe you didn't get to see like really him because he was battling those demons. But my question with him is that he always seemed to me as somebody who could be directed to be funny, but I wasn't sure if he was actually funny. You know, some people aren't funny. They're just directed to be funny. And then other people are funny, like, off the camera. And I wasn't sure if he was actually no, funny. He's – no, he's funny. He, <laughs> he can – you know how, like, how funny Michael J. Fox is without even saying a word? It's that in between, that that silence funny. Uh, Matthew has that. Matthew has that. His timing is impeccable. Uh he, he he's so likable uh you know you almost forget you're in an acting scene because he makes it so comfortable and i understand all those i didn't uh meet everybody in friends but i understand that whole cast was like that he, you know so that's probably why they were successful as they were and oh by, by the way while we were filming in toronto um three to tango matthew gets a call and it was when they were renegotiating uh, his deal, and uh, he just he he said something. He was so funny. He goes silk, silk, and he does this, and he goes. I said, "What happened?" I thought he got bad news, and he goes, "I just got fuck you money." 
I said, what? <laughs> I said, what, what, what did you what did you say? I had never heard that term, you know. And I said, he, he goes, I just got fuck you money. I said, did you say what I thought you said? He goes, yeah. And I said, what? Why, why do you call it that? He goes, for him to say it's, that, because it's enough money. That, yeah, for him to say it was like I thought you already had that kind of money. <laughs> he said, he said, and I said, what does it mean? I said, I really didn't know what it meant. He goes. Well, you know, it's a stupid term, but it means, you know, you have enough money. If somebody messes with you, just go, fuck you. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have it like that, you know. So, But, no, he was – and, you know, Nev Campbell – and both of them are Canadian. So we were in Toronto, so they got a good deal uh, as far as a, a producer got a good deal shooting in Canada there uh, uh, because they were Canadian. They got a good, good breaks even then in 99. Uh, but um, Nev Campbell, her mother was a um, – she taught yoga so that's why they put that in the scene uh a scene of her doing yoga because she was born i mean <laughs> probably born doing yoga drills you know <laughs> the, the nod to her mom yeah all right now so you're a busy guy man you're an entrepreneur you got this the, the uh the cure for hunger charity and acting teaching classes singing music Bro, when do you relax? What do you do to relax? Like, what's what's your downtime like? I have a great dog right here. He's oh, right nice. down below me. Uh, a rock, and, well, and I, I love animals. So I, uh, well, he's a, a mix, just like me. Uh, nice. <laughs> he's a, he's what we call a golden ridge. He's a ridgeback golden retriever. Oh wow, mix. that's and, that's got to yeah, be gorgeous. Really and cool. somebody somebody threw him away as a two and a half week old puppy. His eyes oh. were shut, his ears were shut. Somebody threw him in a drainage pipe, and he had black electric electrical tape taped all over him, around his face, around oh his my God. legs, around wow. his little stomach. Somebody threw this beautiful little puppy in a drainage pipe, and my other dog went off leash. I mean, off the the, the road, and went in the drainage pipe and came out with. I thought it was a rat. <laughs> you know, what do you got? And it it laid it down, and, and and looked up and said, "What do you think of that?" And so I was like, "Oh my God!" So my mother brought it. You know, she brought it in, and we took the tape off of it, and that was uh, eight years ago. And he's been. Oh my God! That's he's so been our, amazing. Uh, wow. Been my my baby, my baby ever since. So I, I got to have dogs. That's that how story. I relax. Is around animals like dogs because dogs don't care what kind of house you have, how big your car is, how much money you made. If your movie did well, it didn't do well. They just want to go. Let's let's go on a walk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and dogs always you know, love you. So that that relax they relax me. And otherwise, I'm working the rest of the time <laughs> and sleeping a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Now, Silk, we've I dropped like it a couple Jordan. times. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, please. We've dropped it a couple times, but please uh, talk talk to us some more about the cure for hunger. The floor okay. is yours. Cure, cure for hunger, which we we also made cures for humanity because there were certain people that contacted us and said, "You can't say you're curing hunger." <laughs> okay. Why? Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I didn't. We didn't argue, and um, you're gonna offend somebody business, somewhere. Yeah. So imagine. Um, a gigantic a circle machine about six feet in diameter okay in circumference and inside this circular machine there's uh 100 plants 
let's say little bitty tomato plants or little, you know, maybe a two inch long anything. Um, and this wheel circles 24 hours a day. It rotates. So every hour it rotates every hour. And so these plants are going to be sideways. Sometimes they're going to be upside down. Sometimes they're going to be right side up sometimes through the night. And the water comes from up top from condensation. We get the earth gets most of the, a lot of the water, almost 20% of the water from, you know, condensation. That's why you see dew on, on grass and stuff. So anyway, we've developed a system where you grow plants indoors and it grows not only three times faster and, and you can grow a thousand head of lettuce in three months wow. and then read and it redoes it re uh, plant it again another three months. So it's, you don't have to wait a year. So you can actually, you know, that's one thing and that's just lettuce. So mm -hmm. imagine everything. So, We've developed that, some great minds. I, I didn't obviously invent that, uh, but I'm putting it out in the world. Um, I'm the, the co-founder and CEO. Um, Eric Williams is, my, is uh, the chairman, and he is a, a brilliant guy that brought me to this um, uh, awareness of how many children were dying every year and every hour of hunger and of, of thirst. And it just, I couldn't think of anything else. There was nothing else more important to me. So every movie I did from that moment on, which was 10 years ago, every movie I did from that point on was to help build that this company to where we can get a prototype and other things to show people that we can grow food in, indoors easier and we can control the environment. So, you know, you don't have to worry about pesticides and, 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 and insects and things getting on your food and, and you plant on one acre. Think about that. Now, how many of those circular units growing corn in each one can you put on an acre? Yeah. So you're not, you know what I'm saying? So you, you can feed a whole community with uh, basically one unit or two. So it's phenomenal. And now it's gotten better than that. That's powerful. So, and Martin Luther King III, which is Martin Luther King Jr.'s son, his oldest uh, child is my business partner. And we travel a lot. Uh, we, we speak a lot in different places. Um, and, uh, he, this is one of the first things and one of the only first things that he has endorsed, you know, uh, I mean, you're Martin Luther King's son. You don't see him endorsing anything, right? You haven't seen him on the news doing all that. So, but he came with me on this and he, and, and we're, we're putting things together right now to, to advertise. Uh, we, there's a, we're, he and I both are on the cover of the magazine. The first magazine that's going to be October 1st of cures for hunger. Uh, oh, so it's going to be be out around the country, and so um, now we're talking to different countries. But I want to get it in America right now because look at Detroit, look at the water situation there. You know, yeah, Flint, so yep. uh, yeah, so we, you know we have generators that that gather this condensation and puts out fresh water. So can you imagine how many places that we we're, we're, we're trying to set up to go right now? That is, yeah. that is huge. So cures for humanity. Yeah. It's it's my I can't even sleep sometimes thinking about no child should be hungry. No no, no. child should go without food or water and and we we uh, Americans we waste so much food and it just hurts me. And I just think that uh, most of us are not aware, I think. But I, I think everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to do something. What can we do? You know? Uh and I said, "Well, uh what do you do anyway?" <laughs> You know, <laughs> what do you do? 
on a daily basis incorporates that into this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's kind of like uh, the kids that, you know, going back to school, it's like, and the parents are trying to figure this out and that out. Well, first of all, you're a child from the age of five to 11, your personality is basically formed. But those are the years that, that numbers, you got you to gotta teach them math, you got to teach them science and, and things that the brain is developing. So if they're not in school during those times that they're learning these things, it's going to be so hard for them later in life. That's why adults that didn't learn to read young, they can't read as an adult. You're like, you can't say that? No, because it doesn't, the brain didn't equate that. So it's very important that they go to school now, but it's very important, more important that they're safe. So I thought I'm going to meet with the mayor and talk to him about all these empty malls across the country. Let's put a six month program together and make him more like a gigantic high school where you could separate, yeah. you know, put history over on that wing, uh, science over there, math over here. You can actually use the big, um, you know, the hallways in a mall is huge. You can put a hundred people there. You never see each other. So oh, the food, those the food are just are sitting huge, around. Too. Yeah. They're just sitting around and it's already equipped for a lot of people. You know, a mall is already equipped to handle a lot of people. So with all these empty malls, I wish they would put a program together. I don't care. I use my uh, idea. Somebody do this. Put gut them. They're already gutted. They've emptied them, and just configure them accordance to the amount of people in the school. And that way, they get separation. You know, you're you're. That's a big deal. You can't, you don't want everybody on top of each other. So anyway, at least for six months or so while we're while we're going through this and then it give you a chance to figure other things out. That's just the Silk Cozart's uh, idea of thinking how to help things right now. I'm, I always try to figure out how I can help in some way. I don't you know, I got it from my mom. She's always helping people and and things, situations. So you guys are just, you know, I, it's so cool for for having this this kind of program that allows people just to talk about life, not just in sports is such a big part of life, you know. Yeah, for sure, and and I think that I don't. Know, so I appreciate that. We really appreciate you coming on. I mean, I'll be honest with you, this two and a half hours has flown by, and I think that the saddest part of this interview is is, is it being over because I can keep listening to you talk. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, just being able to talk about anything and everything uh, has been such a gift. You you live such an amazing life and you've gone through so much and you've done so much that being able to just take these nuggets from you has been amazing. Extremely blessed. Well, thank you guys. You guys are a blessing uh, yourselves and thank you again. And hopefully I'll come back on after maybe after the movie comes oh, out yeah. or maybe after, uh, you know, Silk Whiskey or, or Country Roads Beer is circulating it's going to be in west virginia first of all the beer oh absolutely and, and, and when that comes west virginia yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna promote a ball of confusion as hard as we can as hard as we can and and we we appreciate you we definitely want to have you back uh you've been amazing i mean you really have uh it's and again it's not just the sports side of it Thank your your thought, thought process on life and just positivity is infectious and you know that's something we want to promote Thanks. so we're all about it man I did, I did well, you guys are, are top. Well, thank you. I actually did feel about halfway through, and, and you were talking about life and, and, and talking about you know just different situations and things that people go through. I'm looking at my list. I'm like, I don't want to ask any more movie questions. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so we definitely want to plan to have you back on and just continue to shoot the shit, man. Honestly, you're, oh, you're such a great listener. Oh, yeah, this oh, has been thank amazing. Thank you, guys. 
I'll yeah. send you a link to the film so you can kind Perfect. of get a little sneak peek. Yeah, we'll, we'll blast it all over the page, man. Anything we can do, man, for sure. Oh, in October when you okay. get that cover, you make sure to send that to us. We're going to put that cover everywhere. Oh, I, thank you, guys. You all are awesome, man. Thank you again. You really thank are. Thank you so much, so. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, so much. Let's go SEC football. Yeah, take care. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> See you, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the show, guys. Two hours and 35 minutes. Thank you for sticking around for the whole thing. I know that not a single second of it was wasted or not at all. anything. I mean, that was just phenomenal. We thought we got lucky last week. I mean, that Silk's interview was just phenomenal. I've, and, I've got so I, many I, more questions I want to ask. I, know, I held it back because we're almost like going three hours, but I got more. Three, too. Exactly. My girlfriend's going to kill me. But well, I, well, you know I, what it reminded me of is actually you ever like sit with like an old relative, like a grandparent or like an uncle. And you start talking to them, and the next thing you know, it's like, man, seven hours has gone by. And I'm just, yeah, exactly. I'm just talking. That's what it felt like. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I got to know more about – because we didn't even touch about his poor German Shepherd that he said was messed with by the KKK. I, I want to touch on that and just his younger life in general and how it influenced him and throughout his whole life. Because, I mean, the guy's so positive, and he's just so amazing. He's just so infectious. Like I said, it's it's impossible not to kind of catch his vibe when you're just talking to him. Uh, I, I, it's, it was incredible. And we know the boy loves sports, so we can bring him on after, you know, some more of these NBA playoffs. NBA playoff games, for sure. Get some more of his takes on that. And, I mean, Wayne may not not have wanted to continue to talk movies, but I've got some movie questions for him. (laughs) (laughs) Sneak peek, I want to know if Silk would have ever found himself in an Avengers movie if if they came out in his time. Ooh. Well, he still could. I mean, they're still making him. He could beat somebody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he'd make a better roadie than, you know, what's-his-face. Who yeah. did, Jesse? They don't have athletes, so he can't be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks, uh, guys. I will just will. I'll I'll throw it to Kenny here. I feel like it's so surreal, like ending. But I know. Um, uh, hey, Kenny, uh, what do you say? It's over, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>